When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On SEN, the Captain's Run with Kane Corns. Yes, good morning to you. Two minutes past nine o'clock. Got a big show coming up. A lot of things I want to talk about. Victoria's numbers came through 30 seconds ago. So Alex just missed them in the news. 14 new locally acquired COVID cases, which are all linked to current outbreaks. 10 of the 14 cases were in quarantine throughout their entire infectious period with one of the other four cases still to be interviewed. 14,000 vaccine doses administered yesterday. So numbers coming down, which is a good thing as the government speaks and more news comes to hand. We will provide that for you this morning, but we are here to talk about sport, which I'm excited to do. As I said, a lot to get through. We're actually going to go live. We wouldn't often do this, but I thought it was important today. We're going to go live to Alistair Clarkson's media conference at about 10 o'clock. So first time he has spoken since... Caroline Wilson revealed on Monday night that Sam Mitchell wanted clean air and didn't want Clarkson there next year as it came to hand that those two have had mediation um, throughout recent weeks. Sam Mitchell spoke on Waitley and put that to bed. Caroline Wilson responded saying the Hawthorne Football Club has never leaked as much as it is leaking right now and Sam Mitchell would want to be really careful about what he says about the Premiership coach. So Alistair Clarkson to speak. We'll get your thoughts on that. We're also going to speak to Channel 7's Basil Zemplis. Opening games gets underway tonight. A fair bit happening already at the Olympics, which we'll work our way through. Uh, we're going to wrap up the NBA Finals. We're going to go to J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Sentinel on Giannis and what a global superstar he now is. The most popular player probably, or the equal to LeBron James currently, if you did a popularity poll. Jitter versus Phil Davis. I'm interested in his thoughts on his kidney um, issue and, and what the future holds for Dustin Martin from his experience and the quiz. But most importantly, as always, your calls, one 736 736 I'm passionate about the next issue, so let's get the show underway with this. Well, uh, in 2021, it is a very, very good time to be an AFL midfielder. So to win the AFL's two most prestigious awards, the Brownlow Medal and the AFL Coaches Award, you have to be a midfielder. You, you can't win it if you're not a midfielder. So it's impossible for a defender, a forward, a ruckman to win these awards. Now, we need change. And I want your solutions on how we go about recognising uh, the most prestigious of all awards – someone other than a midfielder. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. So ask any AFL player what their motivation is for playing the game and you're certain to get a unanimous answer and that is, I play to win a premiership. Now, in a team sport, that is the only acceptable answer. However, there are special individual accolades that if achieved, add to a player's legacy and should be celebrated accordingly. Earning an All-Australian blazer or a club champion does put you in an exclusive club 
with both uh, honours worthy of significant recognition. However, the award that most accurately reflects a player's brilliance and influence over the course of the season is, I think, the AFL Coaches Award. Of course, we all know how it's done at the end of each match. Each coach from the teams hands down their votes from five awarded to the most influential player on the ground down to one. The maximum votes any player can achieve in one game is 10. Uh, the votes are tallied over 23 weeks and the winner is awarded the champion. Lockie Neal won it last year with 93 votes. After round 18 in 2021, so this is the the award that accurately reflects a player's influence. Bontempelli leads with Clayton Oliver and Miller in third. The top 10 vote-getters are all midfielders. The 18 AFL coaches have neglected to meaningfully recognise any defender, forward or a ruckman, and it isn't the only award dominated by midfielders. The umpires, too, have been hypnotised into only voting for the mids when they hand in their 3-2-1 Brownlow votes after each game. It is a blight on the game that a player can't win the AFL's two most prestigious awards if they don't play in the midfielder. The last 15 winners of the Brownlow, dating back to 2007, are all mids. So Sydney's Adam Goods, of course, was the last player to win it from outside the midfield. But you could argue he was basically playing as a midfielder as well from the ruck. You've got to go back to 1993 to find a winner that was unquestionably playing in a position other than the midfield, and that was Essendon back pocket Gavin Wanganeen. In 1987, St Kilda full forward Tony Lockett kicked 117 goals and took home the Brownlow in a tie with Hawthorne Rover John Platten. A full forward cannot win the Brownlow today. In 2020, the top 10 vote-getters vote were all midfielders, and the highest-placed key forward was Geelong's Tom Hawkins with 11 votes, 20 votes behind Neil. Our game caters for all types. It doesn't matter if you're fast, slow, tall, short, heavy, or light. If you are good enough, you will succeed the game's most significant awards should do the same. So how do we solve the massive issue that doesn't get spoken about enough? Is it time for an overhaul, a chat to the coaches and the umpires, or a new system completely to start recognise players that don't play in the midfield? one 736 736 to get involved today. That's when we play the little music, but we didn't do that today. So, well, there it is. There it is. So I've, I've done an exercise. I've gone through the non-midfield Brownlow. So if I was to award the Brownlow medal and midfielders were ineligible, which I think is fair because basically for the last 25 years, anyone playing outside the midfield has been ineligible for the Brownlow medal. I've gone with seventh place in the non-midfield Brownlow to Dane Zorko. Congratulations, Dane. I think you've been outstanding this year as Brisbane captain in your numbers playing as a small forward slash a small amount of time in the midfield have been off the charts. I've gone six, Harry Mackay. Could have been higher if he could kick straight, but his form in a side that is 13th, aren't they? The Blues, to be leading leading the Coleman medal is extraordinary. So he's six. Tom Stewart in fifth. He's an absolute star in my non-midfield brand. Like I'd have him in fifth position. Stephen May, to continue the recognition of the defenders, he's in fourth position. Toby Green's third in the non-midfield brand like this year. Tom Hawkins is a freak. He's second. I just think he should absolutely get votes most weeks for what he's doing, Tom Hawkins. He's second. And Big Max Gorn is the winner of my 
non-midfield Brownlow this year would be interested in your thoughts on one 736 Let's go to Coburg and speak to Jai. Jai, thanks for kicking us off, my friend. That's all right, Quanzi. I'll tell you, easy fix, mate. Um, have a medal for a forward, for a backman, and for a midfielder. That mm. way, for example, this year, you'd have Sam Walsh in the middle, Mackay in the forward line, and Wiedering in the back line. There's your three medals. So that's from a club perspective. How do we solve the Brownlow? Same. Three right. medals. So you have, you, have a, you have a three-pronged Brownlow. Does it have yep. the same prestige as being awarded the fairest and best player in the competition? Is that the solution? Is is it taking it away from the umpires, which, are, you know, as I've said, I've been on record how many times this year, umpiring's too hard. Like, umpiring the game, and you hear it with razor Ray's explanations with Jared onto simple holding the ball decisions. You ask him to do that, to run 15Ks, to bounce the ball, which the umpires hate, to make decisions, and then at the end of all of that, after they've been focusing so hard on adjudicating the game as best as they possibly can, you ask them to vote on the most prestigious award. And perhaps that is the reason it is only a midfielder's award. It is, it's genuinely a blight on the game that you cannot win our league's best medal and most prestigious two medals and the coaches need to take some blame. Why, why are the coaches only recognising the midfielders as well is, is one question for them. And I'd love when we do get a coach on to ask that question to them and whether they're conscious of that. But how can you only win our award if you're a midfielder? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't actually get it. And no one has yet to come up with a solution that uh, is accurate. John's in Taylor's Lake. What do you think, Johnny? Good morning, Kane. How are you, mate? Um, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, look, I... Look, I, I just think the people that are actually making the... Oh, sorry, giving the votes um, aren't the right people. Now, I'm not saying umpires aren't the right people to give the Brownlow votes, but what you've got to take in consideration... I mean, I've played a lot of junior footy in that, and I coach junior football, and you would normally give the three votes to the person who's had the biggest impact for your side winning on the day. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if you put that into context... I think uh, Grimes, I'm a Richmond supporter, I think um, Grimes, in the few years that we've been winning premierships, he should have been right up there in club awards and in Brownlow votes because there was games, and Alex Rance, another one, there was games where those guys, if they weren't playing for the Tigers, we would not have won those games. So the impact on the winning of the, of the game was more those guys than on the day midfielders or anyone else. So it's yep. just the people have to identify, Kane, who has who has had the biggest impact in their role for the side on the day. And you should be able to give three votes if it's a wingman, it's a wingman, if it's a halfback mm. flanker, it's a halfback flanker and so on. It's just the people that give the awards don't see what impact Cyril Rioli with his fifteen touches or sixteen touches has been best on ground because they impacted the scoreboard and won the game for his side. So that's well said. And I, so I think best and fairest do that. I think, um, you know, because the coaches task their players of what role they want and they understand how influential they are. That's why I'm really surprised with the coaches award. Like out of the top 20 in the coaches award this year, three don't play in the midfield three and they're all Ruckman. So that's Gorn, that's Nat Nui and it's Darcy. From Fremont, three out of the top twenty, as voted by the coaches, are not in the midfield, and essentially Ruckman are midfielders because they're around the footy. It's amazing. 
Uh, I, I agree with you. So I look at Luke Bruce. I think Luke Bruce is Hawthorne's, has been Hawthorne's most influential player this year. But I bet you he doesn't win the best and fairest or feature in anything. He's kicked 29-10. If he doesn't play, they don't win, Luke Bruce. Like it's for the team that is 17th, for him to have kicked 29 goals with the lack of supply he gets at 185 centimetres with his physical, is phenomenal season that Luke Bruce has had. But he won't get recognised the way that he should. So I think it's time we do recognise those small forwards who kick three and lay you know four tackles on a game and are really influential. They'd never get a Brownlow vote, ever. Because they'll go for someone who's at a junk 39 um, and they'll just get the votes. And we've seen it also with the awards that have been handed out for best on ground performances this year. I'm not saying Darcy Parrish hasn't been great, but he's won three awards. I'd be interested in the other games that have had an award after the match, how many have been, have gone to midfielders. Um, it is a midfielders league, unfortunately. Nick is on the road. What's your view on it, Nick? Okay, no, thanks for taking my call, mate. Love the show. Mate, you. you did take um, some of the words out of my mouth in regards to the best and fairest. I think um, that's a very prestigious award in, in uh, intra-club, of course. Because, you know, pound for pound, you know, for your position or your task for the day, you're getting getting the nod from the coaches. But then again, they won't go vote you in the coaches' votes. Um, the other one is I think it kind of relates a bit to um, the All-Australian team as well. They always come out and say, oh, we're trying to pick a, a team that can actually play football. But really, oh, they're just thinking of just picking all the stats pigs. Like some players, like like mm. yourself as a player, like playing corns, you know, four four best and fairest, mate. You don't you don't get ten all Australians, but if you Gary Ablett, which mind you, the best player I've ever seen, you just that's doing everything on the paper. All thirty nine position midfielders are feeling half forward lines, midfield position, and then someone like a Ben Cunnington, who's like a internal clog of a team, will never get a nod in, the, in all Australian because he's not getting thirty nine touches in you know eight hundred metres gained. So mm. I feel like when we when we're watching the footy, maybe because of the way I don't know, the way we commentate the game or whatever it is, we're only prone to hear about the plays, the absolute stat pigs. And the other ones that are, so, you know, busting their foreheads over the footy or, you know, spoiling ten spoils without getting a disposal, don't get a mention. So have a listen. it's all of us. So it's it's everyone that's voting on awards has been hypnotised to only vote for midfielders. And I'd love to see it change. So have a listen to the games that have had a best-on-ground medal at the end of them in 2021, Anzac Day. Darcy Parish midfielder. Yeah, you can medal, uh, Darcy Parish midfielder. The country game, Parish again, midfielder. The Marcus Ashcroft medal for the, the two Queensland teams, Jared Lyons, midfielder. The Neil Danaher medal, Scott Pendlebury, midfielder. Brett Kirk, Luke Parker, midfielder. The Sutton Rose medal, Bailey Smith plays the midfield. The Showdown medal, Travis Boak, he's a midfielder. The Anzac Eve medal, Christian Petrarca is a midfielder. And the Ross Glendening, I think that's what they call it for the, um, the 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 derby or the derby, whatever they call it. Tim Kelly is so not one non midfielder has won an award that has won at the end of a game this year. It's amazing. We've all been hypnotised by this, and not one position other than midfield is getting recognised. How do we solve it? Is what I'm uh, interested in. If you've got a view, Michael is on the line. How do we solve it, Michael? Um, I'll first of all, I agree totally with what you're saying, because um, I think Melbourne's most valuable players are uh, Stephen May and uh, Jake Lever. 100%. And Gorn, I think. Yeah, and Gorn. Um, my, my solution to it would be, um, instead of um, giving a 3-2-1 in the ground, though, why don't
one vote for a midfielder, one for a um, back, one for forward. And mm. then, but yeah, I don't know how Ruffman would fit into that, but that way, um, Maybe out of maybe you say and it's I mean it is I understand it's confusing because you know, who plays where these days is another question. So you, you know you clearly can identify the defenders and you know the, the key forwards, but if you're a small forward, are you playing midfield? Are you playing forward? Really difficult for the umpires to decipher that. Uh, but maybe it is you in the to the umpires after the game. You can only vote for one midfielder. In and the others have to be spread elsewhere. I don't know, but it's not a bad suggestion you make, and it's as good as any that I've heard so far because we've got to change it. It's uh, It's been an absolute joke. Uh, Con wants to change gears a little bit this morning. You want to speak about the Hawthorne issue and Caroline Wilson's coverage of it, Con? Yeah, Kane, thanks, mate. Um, I just want to know what the repercussions will be for Caro. If, they, if, if Al Clarkson comes out as strong as Sam Mitchell did, surely... She has to apologise. She can't just say that they're liars. Otherwise, she's basically saying they're a liar. I think she has to name her source or apologise. Well, she's not. She's got to name her source. What, what? What I can tell you is journalists don't make things up, and particularly ones as good as her. And uh, she, she, she's polarising, and she'll get strong feedback, as all the good journalists do. She's as as good as I've worked with. So, and to see her go to work on a Monday night is is um, well, it's it's brilliant. She's great at her craft. She does not just come in and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to make this story up tonight." So, someone, multiple people from Hawthorne have um, leaked this information, and she's not making it up. So, it's probably not her that needs to apologise. It's the people that are leaking out of Hawthorne. And to, to use her words, um, and I believe it because she wouldn't make it up, is that the Hawthorne Footy Club is leaking more than it has ever leaked. And what do you expect Alistair Clarkson to say? He's not, he's not going to come out and say, hey, you know Caroline Wilson's story on Monday night? That was spot on. Sam Mitchell told me he doesn't want me here at this club. So there's, there's somewhere in between, isn't there, you think. But you know, in terms of an apology, she's not going to apologise when she thinks and believes that she is accurate. 20 minutes past 9 o'clock. You can have your say on that or any topic, of course. We'll go live to Alistair Clarkson's media conference today as he speaks for the first time since that bombshell report on Monday night on Footy Classified that Sam Mitchell does not want him at the club next year. Your calls, 1-300-736-736. Who should be the All-Australian captain? I've got three. I've narrowed it down to three. And I've also done the ladder predictor. Could Carlton make the eight? is what I'm interested in. To all my, my Carlton friends who have sent me a lot of feedback uh, this week, appreciate that on Twitter. Can you make the eight? And where have I got you in my ladder predictor? I think it is not as silly as it sounds. Jump on the phone, join in the conversation, one 736 736 On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Taking your calls as we always do, one 736 Busy out there, just repeating 14 new cases in Victoria, 10 of those in isolation. So seems to be relatively good news, uh, finally. Uh, Anthony is in queue. He wants to speak about uh, the new midfielders' awards and the fact that only midfielders can win the Brownlow or the Coaches' Award or any other award for that matter. Anthony, welcome. Just a quick shout-out to my mate Dave up in Beecroft, who's getting through lockdown. I think he helped you fix your coffee machine one time too, Kane. Oh, now, good, Dave. Topic this, good topic this, Kane. I like this. Um, 
it's the difference. I think you made it, you mentioned before. It's the difference between your team's best player and your team's most valuable player. So you might look at someone like Melbourne and say the best player is Petrarca. Mm. The most valuable player is Stephen May. So it's that sort of distinction that probably comes up on best and fairest night. And I reckon one of the solutions for a competition wide is actually, as rare as this sounds for the AFL, look to the NRL. On their awards night, they actually award not just the Dally M for the best player, but they actually award, um, uh, make recognition of best players for each position. So they'll have like a five-eighth of the year. They'll have a half-back every year. They'll have, you know, backs and forwards of, of the year to almost overcome this problem. So there is a competition-wide um, recognition of the best players. Mm, yeah, the NBA does similar, I guess. They name their all-star team, which is unbelievable honour to be included in that. But they also have the defensive player of the year, the rookie of the year, and the MVP. So perhaps that is something we do. It's going to take a, a massive shift in mindset, though, because the Brownlow is the award, isn't it? For, for, for whatever reason, it, it, it's just it. And Brownlow Night and all of that and the glitz and the glamour, it is the AFL's most prestigious award. Yet there's only, what, probably... 300 out of maybe 400 out of the 800 players that are eligible to win it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I wonder what the solution is. Uh, Mick's on the line. Uh, how do Fords and Ruckman win the brand though, Mick? Yeah, mate, I reckon it should be. Um, good morning, Volcano. Um, yeah, first of all, um, before we get to that, I just want to ask a question for a mate of mine. He's been asking me to ask you for a while. Why do you hate Carlton so much? And why do you think, do you still think Connor Rosie is better than Walsh? Well, and uh, yeah, another one. You got three questions. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, you look back in the seventies and eighties. A lot of ruckmen and forwards and even some backs were winning Brownlows. You know, right up until '92 when Scott Wine won the last. When the, like, no, Jimmy Steins was '91 and then uh, Wine '92. Yeah. So why has it changed so much? And maybe, we, like you said, a guy mentioned before, why don't we have like a uh, the umpires can only vote one midfielder, one backman, and one forward. Well, it's as, it's as good a um, solution as I've found. So the, the game has clearly changed. And for a forward to kick four, what, what's, what's four equivalent of you know, from, from 19, late 80s? Four is probably eight or certainly seven, I reckon. If you kick four in a game, that's probably the equivalent with the amount of opportunity, with the space that forwards have got inside 50, uh, with the lack of frontal pressure that was coming on the ball coming inside 50. You, you kick four today as a key forward, that's the equivalent of kicking seven or eight. So you should be rewarded for that, particularly if it's a really good four. Like, Georgiades kicked a good four against St Kilda. Um, perhaps he should be considered in the votes. Guarantee you, he will not get a vote from last week. We'll get to all of your calls. A lot of people wanting to have their say on the other side of the 9.30 news headlines. Taking calls right through until 10 o'clock. Thank you to you, Alex. At 10 o'clock, we're going to go to Alistair Clarkson's media conference live. Of course, he is speaking for the first time since Caroline Wilson's report on Footy Classified on Monday of a, well, basically a rift, isn't it? And the fact that Sam Mitchell doesn't want him there. And the two had to go into mediation with leading teams and Ray McLean. Sam Mitchell had um, his say and was really impressive uh, with Waitley during the week. Now, Alistair Clarkson is going to speak. We'll take you there live after 10 o'clock. In the meantime, uh, whipping through a lot of your calls on one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Scotty's on the line. Uh, you want to speak about the midfielders, Brownlow, Scott? Yes, Mike. Hey, no, how are you? Good, thanks. 
That's good. Now, um, are you in, are you in nature, one, Scotty? Where, where, where do you join us from this morning? I can hear the birds in the background. I can hear your feet pounding the pavement. Yeah, I'm walking, mate. I'm walking my dog. So good, good get out man. and get some fresh air. Good now, um, about this um, Brownlow Ward, um, award, I mean, the best solution to be is have one independent voter at each ground and no one knows who it is. And they can vote from the TV screen or at the ground. And they'll know how the backman plays, how the forward plays, and that sort of stuff. So the umpire, in one way, can have an influence, but they should have one independent voter at each ground. With, with the umpires as well? No, no, no umpires. Just hold Take off it the off umpires. the umpires, too, okay. Yeah, because they've got, they got too much you know, on their plate as it is. Yeah, I think I think you're right in terms of how much they got on their plate. You, you would have they would have to be at the ground. You you wouldn't get the accurate picture of the influence that a defender or a forward had watching on TV. So it would have to be at the ground. I I often thought would it be more accurate having an, an all Australian style panel voting on the Brownlow now maybe a condensed version and it's just you know, how do they see all the games? It's a really tricky solution, but the one we've got now is not working because of the obvious reasons, you've got to go back to 1993 to find a, a winner that didn't play in the midfield. I'm not sure that's right for the AFL's most prestigious award, and perhaps we should be speaking about it a little bit more and come up with a solution. Pete's on the road. G'day, Pete. Hey, good morning, mate. Uh, I think I think uh, things have changed, uh, maybe because we've got three umpires as well, just as a, just as a mm. side comment. But I was just going to ask you your opinion. You work in the media. You come across uh, a lot of reporters and, yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of good ones and Caroline Wilson, very respected. But I'm just wondering how many times in your – this is an opinion piece, right? How many times does, is there a leak from a club or a source where the source doesn't state things as facts, states their opinion? So, for instance, this case could have been, you know, my opinion is that mm. Sam would really like Alistair to go. It gets it changes from mouth to mouth. Gets the reporter. The reporter reports it then as Sam definitely wants Alistair to go. So it starts from an opinion to fact. How often do we actually see that? In your opinion, I don't know. To to answer your question, I don't know. Um, and that would be the experience of the journalists themselves to n- not get one source. Like for for a story like this, I, I don't know. So I work with probably four really closely and four best in the business. So uh, Mitch Cleary does an unbelievable job. I work with Mitch every Saturday night. Damien Barrett I work with and have done for a long time, as good as it gets. And I can tell you how um, how much they dot their I's and cross their T's is, is, is all you can say. I don't know who they speak to. I don't know what goes on, but they're just always fact-checking and making sure what they are going to go with is accurate because they know the backlash. Like you go with something like that, you know what's coming. So these people, Sam McClure is another one, exceptional at what he does. And, and Caro, you know my thoughts on Caro. So it's not just one person they're speaking to. So I think a lot of the public perception is well, they just speak to one person for club, that's their opinion, and then they go with it. I don't think that's the case. My, my view would be that they are speaking to multiple people uh, repeatedly before they drop a story as significant as that. Good on you, Pete, though. I get your point of view, and it it does make sense. Barry is on the line. Uh, you want to speak about who coaches Collingwood, Baz? Yeah, that's right. Um, everybody's banging on it about Brad uh, Brad Scott. Yep. And uh, I looked at his records. Over the 10 years he coached at North, the best year he finished he had was sixth. 
but he got him to the preliminary final, which they lost. But I don't know why what he's pushing him. His record at North was pretty average, I would have thought. Um, yeah, I haven't had a. I'll get his winning percentage off the top of my head would be fifty-one, fifty-two percent. I reckon it's reasonable. Um, I mean, what would Paul Ruse's winning percentage be? What would Ross Lyons be? Uh, if you're just going to judge it off winning percentage, it, it might be a bit tricky. Yeah, I think the more it goes on and the more the form of Sydney continues to improve, Don Pike would be the one that I'd be keeping a really close eye on. If you want to look at win-loss percentage, um, his is as good as any, uh, Barry. So thank you for your thoughts. Pies fans, happy to take your call. Uh, did see Tom Brown's report that the pandemic has slowed things in terms of lockdown in Melbourne and not being able to interview potential candidates, which makes sense. So it could be some weeks away before they make a call on that one. Richard's on the line. Uh, you want to speak about Carlton, Richard? Yeah, Kate, how are you doing, mate? Good, thank you. That's good. Um, yeah, I was doing the ladder predictor yesterday with a good friend of mine and we're texting back and forth rapidly and we're both big Blues fans. So we bleed navy blue and we both had them finishing outside the eight um, by a game and that's winning four out of our last five. Yeah, so I've got them I've got them on 11. Um, so I did just really, like, Really quickly, I didn't didn't spend a lot of time doing it. It must be said, I didn't enter the winning margins and things like that. But I've got them on eleven, so I've got them winning their last four and finishing just outside the eight on percentage because their percentage isn't great. So I had Essendon in eighth, Sydney seventh, um, sorry, West Coast seventh, Sydney sixth, and Port Adelaide in fifth. But the Carlton can make it, and eleven wins gets you in, I think which is the way I see it with percentage. So who knows? They could make a significant run at it, Richard. That would make things interesting. My old mate Steve is in Lilydale. Um, he hasn't called for a while because Adelaide have uh, been really ordinary in the last six to seven. In fact, most of the year. So Steve's gone really quiet, but he's been brave enough to call us on the back of Adelaide's form recently. Hi, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Kane. Um, big Collingwood supporter here. Looking forward to the game tonight. Looking forward to the <laughs> Included Todd Marshall's eight possessions and uh, and no goals, but but Darcy Fogarty being the topic of conversation next week. Hey, um, hey Kane, how are you feeling? Can I fly the conspiracy theory past you? Um, yeah. Everyone's talking about why can Caro be so strong in her opinions. The reason is her Caro's strength of opinion comes from the strength of her source. If she's speaking to the bootstutter, I don't think she's going to be going so strong. So we have to we have to acknowledge that she's got an incredible source that's giving her information, like what Sam Mitchell's thinking. So then, in my mind, goes to well, who could who's who is who could be the source? Well, who's the most aggrieved party here, Kane? Who's the one who probably wanted to go on, probably has a little bit on the liver about Sam Mitchell, and who's, and who potentially probably doesn't want to be there next year, but wants to be sacked take his payout and go and coach Collingwood. I'm saying, Kane, I'm putting it on, I'm putting it on the record. If hey, be ca- get care- careful. You don't, want to, you don't want to get us sued here, Steve. I get what, you, I get what you're doing and it's, it's, you put a lot of thought into it and you've, you've uh, made your case and you've made your case very well, I think, as you often do. Uh, but you, you probably don't need to go the extra step. We, we probably don't need to get sued for defamation this morning. She would be speaking to a whole heap of people, is, is what I would think. And I don't know. I've no idea. But that would be my view. It's not just one person that um, Caroline Wilson or any of the good journalists. You know, the ones that break stories like this don't just speak to one story. And you saw it with the St Kilda thing. It was accurate. St Kilda weren't happy for two players left mid-season to spend time with their family. And it was reported. Despite the backlash, the story was accurate. 
speaking of the Saints, uh, Brock predicted that Port Adelaide would beat St Kilda on the weekend. You were correct, Brock, but it meant your Saints lost. How are you feeling? Hey, Kano. Um, firstly, just on, uh, I do front up, unlike your mate Steve there. I get on every week and um, back do. up what I've said. Um, yeah, look, I, as I said, you'd probably beat us because you do beat up on the teams outside the eight, but, mate, you shouldn't have. The free kick count was lopsided. The inside 50, we had 10 more inside 50s. I don't know how many times Jonas and Aaliyah and Mackenzie can get away with hanging on to the jumper or putting a full arm around or a chop of the arms. It's just... Obviously, the AFL wants the teams inside the eight to finish inside the eight and the lowlies like St Kilda just to keep dwindling around. You know, we're not going to make them money with box now, office. Now, so Brock, if you, can't beat, put, uh, if you can't beat Port Adelaide at home with no Butters, Dersma, Rosie, Motlop, Fantasia, Gray and their whole small forward line gone, you don't deserve to play finals is what I will say to you got a few outs too, mate. Don't forget that. Uh, everyone does, but that was a game you should yeah. win on your home deck against the Port Adelaide side that had been ravaged. Yeah, but so we, despite you, you had a few out, mate. You had a few out, but you had a four extra players or three extra players in green, mate. Good on you, Brock. That's twice we're going to get sued this morning. We're going to get sued by Clark. We're going to get sued by the umpires. Nah, just mucking around. Uh, good on you, Brock. Thanks for your call this morning. Let's quickly go to Jason. Hey, Jace, should the umpires vote on the brown line? Yeah, mate. Gotcha. You're on. You there, mate? Yeah, mate, you're yeah. on. Uh, yeah, mate, with the Brownlow boats, it's just like surfing, mate. You have your, your two um, coaches, the three umpires in the centre, and over average of five, five um, boats for the day from each um, person, take away your highest and your lowest, which will give you best on the ground for the day. The coaches and the umpires combined. The problem is the coaches uh, aren't recognising anyone else that doesn't play in the midfield either. The top 20... Only three are Ruckman. There's not, not one key forward. There's not one running defender. There's not one small forward. There's not one player that plays outside of the midfield bubble that the coaches are recognising. So I'm not sure that's going to solve the problem, unfortunately. But I appreciate any lateral thinking this morning, if anyone can solve the issue, because it is a big one, um, that we should really get behind on the captain's run. We should start recognising the players that don't play outside the midfield and call it out when the umps or the best on ground voters don't recognise those players. Uh, we'll get to Jeff, Mark, Andrew and Joe. If you want to have your say, you can call us, you can text us. The temper text is 0433 at 7 minutes, 17 minutes to 10. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. It's 12 minutes to 10 o'clock. If you're listening to us on 1629 SENSA, it's 18 minutes past nine. Uh, taking Alistair Clarkson's press conference after 10 o'clock live right here. That should be interesting. Let's go to Jeff, who's been waiting patiently. You want to speak about the Brownlow. G'day to you, Jeff. Yeah, Kane, I love your show. Thank you. Um, yeah, in regards to, as you say, it's a midfielder's Brownlow. Um, I'm a mad Carlton supporter. I go back to round 17. Weedering kept Hawkins scoreless. It'll be interesting to see what Brownlow votes he gets from that game. Well, that's what we need to start doing, I think, Jeff. So if any if any supporter, and maybe we could do it for the last five weeks on here on the captain's run, we'll, we'll take a close... For example, I watched Jamie Cripps live against Adelaide last... Was it last Sunday? He was the best player on the ground by a mile. I mean, he had 25 and kicked five as a small forward. So I'm sure the umpires will recognise him. The coaches did. They gave him the perfect 10. If they don't give him three Brownlow votes for that game, I'm, I'm going to... 
I'm going to go on strike. Like it was, it was just the most obvious game. Now, if they gave it to a midfielder who had plenty of it, an Andrew Gaff or something who had 35, I'll be, I'll be really disappointed. So I think we need to start doing that on the captain's run for the last five weeks or six weeks of the season. You see a dominant performance from a defender or a key forward or a running halfback. Write it down and keep a note of it on Brownlow night, whether or not they get votes. I saw Ryan Burton play on Butler for Port Adelaide. Now, granted, it was on TV. It was it was unbelievable, Ryan Burton, as a defender. I hope he gets a vote, um, but we'll wait and see. I doubt it. Mark wants to speak about it as well. G'day, Mark. Hey, no. How are you, man? Good, thank you. Mate, mate it's simple. If you do your research into the Brownlow and the officiating and the rules, You'll find in the mid-90s, I think it was about 96, the AFL actually changed something which made a significant difference and turned it into this midfielder's Brownlow. The umpires originally were never allowed to look at the stats. They had to get together, put their votes in without the stats, just go from memory of what they saw from the game. Around 96, the umpires were then given all the stats after the game. They would then look at them stats and then logically they go with the highest possession getters, so on, da-da-da. And now we've got a midfielder's grand, a midfielder's Brownlow. Well, it's that a is good, where it changed. Yeah, it's a good point you made. I, I don't know if it was that late though. Into I thought it, so when I was playing, I was of the belief the umpires didn't have a look at the stats. They, I thought they had, they could only look at the goal scorers and not the stats. Now, clearly that has changed, but I, I didn't think it was as far back as ninety. I thought it was more recently. But if there's a, if there's an umpire out there, or we might actually make contact with the umpires department and find out what information they do have after a game. Um, because you're right, Mark. They, they At one point, they were not allowed to look at stats. I'm not sure what the protocols are exactly now. In fact, they don't speak about it often, um, what process they go through in voting for the Brownlow. But it's a, a good point that you make. Uh, Sam wants to speak about the Dogs game against Melbourne. It's going to be an absolute ripper, the match of the round. What's your thoughts on it, Sammy? Uh, yes, I do, Kano. In fact... Uh... I'm hoping the dogs uh, bring uh, that energy and that vigour to the game because if Melbourne play anything like they did against uh, Port Adelaide, I think we're going to be in for a bit of a torrid time. Um, mm. I like to see the Bulldogs have that free-flowing game. Unfortunately, they weren't able to produce that against uh, Sydney and uh, last time. So I'm hoping the Bulldogs are really are prepared for uh, what I believe uh, Melbourne is going to uh, bring on the day. Mm, good on you, Sam. It's going to be an absolute ripper, and the winner will join Geelong as premiership favourites, you would think. I, I did like Jay Clark's story in the Herald Sun about Alex Rance potentially playing VFL for Essendon. 31 years of age, making a comeback. Where's he suited? So clearly, if he does, the Bombers will have probably the front running. But imagine Alex Rance in the Bulldogs' side. That's, that's the first thought I thought. Imagine their forward line, their midfield, and Alex Rance at fullback for the Bulldogs. Unbelievable. Damien Harbick has spoken this morning. Uh, He says about the comeback, I'm not sure if he could play AFL. He's one of the most athletically gifted players I've ever seen play the game. If there's ever a person that's going to come back after a three-year layoff, it might be Alex, but I'm not too sure. Bulldogs fans, I think he's the perfect fit for you. Try and convince him. Andrew, Joe, Julian and Dom on the other side of this. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. I haven't chatted to him uh, to him for some time, so oh, look, I'm not sure. He's one of the more athletically gifted players I've ever seen play the game. So if there's ever a person that's going to come back back after a three year layoff, it might it might be Alex. Oh, I'm not too sure what his mindset is. You know, it's it is challenging. Uh, has he had some time to freshen up? I'm not. 
once again, I'm not too sure, but um, look, I'll back, back Alex in whichever way he goes, to be honest. You know, he's such a an incredible player to play the game. And you know, I think we'd all agree that he did retire early, but we understand his reasonings behind that. But look, if he came back to the game, it'd be a, it'd be a good thing. The game would be better for it, I think. So the challenge is set for him. We'll see how he goes on the weekend and, and how it transpires from there. Richmond coach Damien Harbuck speaking on the possibility of Alex Rance making a comeback for Essendon via the VFL. You can have your say on that. Let's quickly sneak in Joe in Box Hill before we get to the 10 o'clock news. Your thoughts, Joe? Um, G'day, Kane. Two things. Uh, Second one's on Mitchell. First, about you made the statement that journalists don't lie and don't make things up. Well, well, really good journalists who are conscious of their reputation, I don't think, deliberately lie, yes. It's all subjective as to who was a good journalist. Um, I put them down the bottom of the barrel with politicians and bureaucrats. Um, Secondly, Mitchell's statement, do you think any coach in their right mind who wants to coach and who wants to make a career of it would want the previous coach that he took over from to hang around. Do you reckon Barassi wanted the previous Carlton? I think it might have been Ken Hands. I'm not sure, to hang around. Do you reckon Hafey wanted Murray Weedman to hang around? Do you reckon Alan Jeans wanted Parkin so to hang you, around? Do you, not believe, do you not believe, Sam, that he wants Alistair Clarkson there? You think he's now lying? I believe him, but he made a, there's nothing wrong with what he said. That was misconstrued. He said, of course I don't want the proof. No coach. Do you reckon Bevo wanted Brendan McCartney to hang around? No I coach. He said he did. Take... I thought he said he did want Alistair Clarkson. Anyway, we'll hear from Clarko after 10 o'clock with his media conference. Time now for the 10 o'clock news. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Yeah, it's three minutes past 10 o'clock. Busy first hour if you're just tuning in to us. It was dominated by uh, my thoughts and my passion that, um, it's funny, I played in the midfield, but the fact that you can't win the Brownlow medal if you're not a midfielder doesn't sit right. It doesn't make any sense. And now that has filtered through to all of the best on ground votes and medals that we hand out after significant games, such as Anzac, such as all the derbies that we have. And the rivalry rounds, they're all going to midfielders. So what is the solution to that problem? Happy to take your calls on that through until 12 o'clock. Got a big show coming your way. We're going to hear from Alistair Clarkson the first time he has spoken since the bombshell story on Monday night. We'll go there live in a matter of moments. Channel 7's Basil Zemplis, the opening ceremony tonight. Are you in the Olympic spirit? Of course, you'll hear all the action with our magnificent crew here um, on 1116 SEN, your home of sport. Looking forward to that. Download the SEN app and you are sport for choice from a sporting sense. It's going to be amazing. Uh, the coverage that you'll have will wrap up game six of the NBA Finals, which saw Milwaukee Bucks win it with Jar Radcliffe for the Milwaukee Sentinel. And Phil Davis, the former GWS skipper, going to ask him a little bit about perhaps his experience with a kidney injury and what Dustin Martin may be going through at the moment. Standing by to go to Alistair Clarkson in any moment. In the meantime, let's go to Julian. Uh, g'day to you, Jules. Hey, Kano. How you going? Good, thanks. Good. Um, look, I'll preface this with being I'm a mad Carlton supporter, um, but uh, I want to talk about, you know, there's inequities in the draw. Uh, and I want to pose a scenario to you quickly, and uh, you tell me, uh, your answer, if I, if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got two teams. One team finishes on 100%. The other team finishes on 101%. But the team that finishes on 101% has a 6% better draw 
and the 100% team that finished on 100% beat that team on 101% during the, uh, the course of the regular season. So which team deserves to make the finals? Well, I know what you're saying. How do you um, calculate a 6% um, more favourable draw? How, I mean, how did you work that out? Based on the current ladder positions of every team, and um, obviously talking about Carlton and Essendon here, yeah. um, so Carlton has a 6% harder draw based on the teams that have played to date on the current ladder position. Oh, in terms of difficulty? Uh, in terms of where they are on the ladder, yep. Yep. Uh, and, and, and we beat Essendon during the year. Uh, so if we both finish on the same points, um, and that's an inequity in the draw, uh, I wonder if it's time that we don't rely on percentage. Instead, we rely on um, who beat who maybe during the regular season. Mm. The problem with that, then, how how do you factor in what Sydney have been through? Like, they haven't had a home game in how long? Like, so in terms of the difficulty of the draw, like, it's impossible to measure. For example, when Port Adelaide are supposed to be playing at home tonight, they're not. The Crows are supposed to be playing, um, well, they, they've been shifted, as as every, every every team has, whereas West Coast have largely been unaffected as it sits this well, year. So I'm, I'm not sure... I'm talking about doing it. This is an abnormality this year and last year. I, I mean, ongoing. going forward. Yeah, yeah ongoing. Okay. I get you. Um, I get you. Uh, I think percentage is reasonably fair, uh, in, in my view. If you look, if you're good enough, you make it. If if you're in tenth and you're scrambling for ways for your team to fit into the finals, it means you're gonna you're gonna bomb out in week one or two anyway. So, if you're good enough, you'll make it. If you're good enough, you'll finish top four and you'll give yourself the best opportunity. If you're scratching at round 19 and you're finding a way for your team to try and sneak into eighth position, it means you're not good enough. I mean, that's that's the absolute cold half truth of it, and Carlton haven't been good enough. Um, I'm interested in your All-Australian skipper this year. For me, it is, it's a one-horse race, and I think there is a, a clear All-Australian captain. And for me, that is Marcus Bontempelli. Yeah, like, just if he doesn't play another game for the rest of the year, I would still have him as the All Australian captain. I think he's been unbelievable. That's the way I would go. But in the conversation, I think you've got to put um, Took Miller in the conversation as, as All Australian skipper. I know um, All Australian selection is often rewarded by how successful your team has been, and it'd be difficult to give him that honour. The fact that he plays for the Gold Coast Suns, but I think he's in contention and Max Gorn. So they're the three: Bont, Gorn, and Miller. Bont clearly the All Australian skipper uh, for me. Would be interested in your thoughts if anyone's got a counter view on that. We are standing by to go to Alistair Clarkson's uh, media conference. He's speaking for the first time, and what has been a really eventful week at the Hawthorne Football Club. We'll take you there live. He's a bit like um, the Victorian government are a bit late often, aren't they? I mean, not significantly late, but, you know, five, six minutes late from when they say they were going to be there. Clarko's channeling a bit of that this morning. Let's go to Mount Gambier and speak to Brendan. G'day to you, Brendan. G'day, Kane. How are you going? Good, thanks. Hey, listen, um, you, you, the Brownlow's awarded to the best and fairest, and um, the, the players that are winning it, uh, normally or generally are the best. You don't put a half-back flanker um, into the centre um, because he's a half-back flanker. So the the better players who win the Brownlow are normally in the centre, aren't they? Mm. Well, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, if you and I think most football clubs, if you had the choice. 
of taking a big power key forward who's going to influence games in that role or a Matt Prittis type in the midfield or a Tom Mitchell type in the midfield or any number of midfielders that have won the Brownlow medal, who are you taking? Oh, every day of the week I'm taking the big power forward who can kick me 50 to 70 goals for the year, more so than a midfielder who's going to, yeah, he's going to touch it 30 times a game, but is he going to influence the game like a Harry Mackay has influenced games this year? My answer would be would be no. So I'm not ne- I'm, I don't, I'm not necessarily agreeing with you there, Brendan. I, I get that in a few texts coming through saying the reason a defender doesn't win the brown though is because they're not good enough to play in the midfield. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily on board with that. I look at what Tom Stewart does and the influence of his team. I look at Stephen May and Jake Lever and how important and influential they have been in Melbourne's wins this year. And I guarantee you both of them won't get above eight votes in the Brownlow this year, which is criminal, absolutely criminal for the influence that they've had on their team. So I'm not with you on that one, Brendan, but thank you for your call. Let's go to Shepard and Inspector Lee. Hi, Lee. Hi, Kane. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, just want to uh, run by you your thoughts on the, um, uh, the umpires need to submit the, the votes after the game. I, I'd like to see a, a system implemented or trialled where... Um, they have an opportunity as a group to review the game and maybe submit them votes um, and, and review it with maybe an integrity officer or an umpire's coach and, and, and review that game and the impact the players have on the game uh, some 24 hours later or what have you before they submit their votes. I've, I've mm. coached semi-professional basketball uh, teams where my, certainly my views on the night and when I'm given votes after games and that over, over years... Uh, by the time I've gone back and watched replays and scouted teams on the Monday, Tuesday type thing, um, my views are completely different and things that I thought I'd seen on the night or interpreted on the night were much different. Um, so much so that our league at the time changed the voting system that we had until you know 5pm on a Tuesday night to submit our, our MVP votes for, for that competition. I think something like that could be trialled or, or, or certainly considered. Um, gives the umpires coach an opportunity to go through some um, some um, rule interpretations with them, yeah. but uh, maybe maybe uh, also um, allows the umpires to, without looking at stats, let's have a look at really who's having an impact on the game, and then they can view the stats at the end of that session or, yeah, or something. No, I, I get you, Lee. I'm with you, and um, we, we did make contact with, well, Ben did, um, my legendary producer with his umpiring man, and to the caller... In fact, we'll get back to that because Alistair Clarkson is ready to go. Let's take you live to Hawthorne and the legendary coach Alistair Clarkson speaking live this morning. This morning, one is around what's going on with uh, uh, the whole coaching transition at our club, which um, I'll remark on in a moment. And the other is obviously about the game that we've got coming up against Adelaide on on Saturday night. So my preference is I'm going to try and give you as much information as I can in the next five minutes. Um, You'll obviously have a lot of questions, but I'd hope that what I've got to say in the next five minutes might be able to answer those questions. But um, beyond me, you know, talking talking for five minutes and giving you my view on uh, the whole landscape of what's what's going on at the present time, um, my preference then is that we just move on to the game. Um, and if you've got any questions further that you'd like to ask me, then uh, post-game on Saturday is probably a good time to do it or perhaps even early next week. But um, hopefully in the next five minutes, whatever questions that you've got for me will be answered in, in what I've got to say, because what, what I've got to say is probably, um, you know, I'm not, I've never been a person that wants to 
um, get out into the media and um, reveal my inner self to, uh, to the wider football community. That's for uh, myself, my family, my friends, um, our players and our club. Um, but it's, it's, probably, it's probably worthwhile for, uh, for everyone to know in this particular landscape of what's transpired in the last two or three weeks, what has driven this, um, this whole circumstance around uh, the transition for, for Hawthorne from my coaching to, to Sam. It's, it's perhaps a, a little bit disappointing that it's had to transpire the way that it has because, you know, we've got the really unfortunate circumstance where Sam Mitchell, um, who's going to be the next coach of this football club, um, it should be a really exciting period for both he and us as a club. Uh, and even for me, who, despite transitioning out of being a senior coach of the club, I couldn't be more delighted in the sense that another uh, another product of, of our footy club is going to be senior coaching um, in the AFL post-2022. And that's uh, that's unbelievably exciting. This is the first time with all these guys that have come through um, our coaching program at Hawthorne, this is the first time, which is what's caused so much controversy. This is the first time it's happened where the the, the coach that has been uh, mentored in our system is actually going to become the coach of this club, and that's because I'm going to step away at the end of end of next year. Um, but my commitment to um, this this footy club it's it's happened, I think, on six different occasions where I've signed a contract with this club, and on every one of those occasions, I was really in sickness or in health. Um, we're gonna we're gonna continue on until the end of the contract, and um, in lots of occasions when we've been going through this journey, uh, we've been in a really healthy position. But similarly, um, like in life, um, there's going to be times where where it's a challenge, and it's a challenge for us at the present time in terms of our ladder position. But we know where we're going as a footy club, and we know what needs to be done in terms of um, where we want to go over the next uh, three to five years in position in our club to be back at the pointy end of the ladder and competing for silverware and perhaps that that commitment um perhaps in the in the um in the the thrust of, of afl footy and um and the expectation that once um once i was no longer going to be the coach of the hawthorne football club at the end of next year uh, the the skeptics were saying oh he'll he'll move straight away now that's that's the in sickness or in health for me that's um, I'm, I'm going to continue on and do this role until the end of next year. And my relationship with Sam has been ongoing for, um, for it's been 17 years. Um, it's going to go into an 18th year. I've got an enormous debt to this footy club for having the opportunity to coach this great club. Uh, when, I, when I set out, I thought if I could just even survive past my first contract, it would be a great, a great effort given the state of our club at the time. And then it's just unbelievable what we've been able to achieve um, in the last... 16 or 17 years. Um, but because of that, I've got ongoing relationships with so many people, which um, six people are particularly critical to, to that. And, and they've been the captains that we've had at this club. In the first instance, it was Richie Vandenberg, who, who uh, together with me and others around the club too, it wasn't just us, of course, but the captain and coach at a time when we were, our club was in a fair amount of trouble at the end of 2004, um, Vanders was just so pivotal for getting our club and the playing group back on track in terms of where we wanted to go. Um, then that he he was succeeded by Sam Mitchell, who was the captain of our 2008 premiership. And, um, you know, this type of transition, strangely enough, has, has happened um, in our history before. And strangely enough, it was Mitchell who handed over the captaincy to his, his great mate in Luke Hodge. And uh, that was a seamless transition 
Um, it was an outstanding transition, both for Sam, who at that time of his life, you know, he and Linda were, were starting the family. Um, and um, and Hodgie was ready to assume more responsibility. It was a really smooth and uh, an easy transition for our footy club and a very successful one. Then Hodgie, of course, was an outstanding captain for us through a very, very successful period. And then um, he was taken over by Ruffy, who was very, very important to, to, um, to me and, and the journey that we've had together. Uh, then Ben Stratton um, was a ripper and now Ben McAvoy. So those relationships with those, those captains um, are really, really important to me. Um, those relationships with our coaches who have helped mentor so many of our players across this journey are really, really important to me. That's why I've still got really, really strong relationships with the, the Chris Fagans and the Adam Simpsons and the Luke Beveridges and the Damian Hardwicks and the list goes on for guys who have been at our footy club and helped us along the way um, so and been so significant to the success of this footy club, but they've also been so significant for allowing us to ride through the ups and downs that inevitably come your way in life, but also um, also in AFL footy, which um, is a really, really challenging uh, challenging environment. Um, but, um, you know, Mitch, Mitch and I have had a, a really, really strong relationship for the last uh, 17 years. That's going to continue. Probably the mistake that both of us made, I mean, as, as I said earlier on, this, 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 these types of decisions are, are usually made post-season when there's a, when there's a coaching change. Um, they're very rarely made uh, made in season, um, and certainly really really made in season when it's a, when it's a transition that's been mooted. And um, yeah, we still got games of footy and 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 to prepare for, and we're hoping as best we possibly could that um, this would just be uh, business as usual. But just let's deal with what's going on on the side here, so that we can inform uh, the outside footy world and our members and everything that this is going to be the transition that will happen at the end of 2022. Now we understood, of course, that there was going to be speculation, you know, will, will Clarkson move? What does it mean? Um, I, I, I laugh at it in one way, because if, if they're saying that they don't really know me well, and that's what I'm trying to portray today, I'll see through my commitment. I've always been that way. Um, you know, whether it was, uh, <laughs> with a, with a, a marriage or whether it's in, in business or your work, um, I can remember when I, I, I married my wife. We didn't know what the journey, where the journey was going to take us, but you know, she she married me at a time where I was particularly vulnerable because I just um, just lost my brother in a um, in a car accident, and um, I weren't I weren't in a great space in my in my late teens and, and early twenties. But that um, but that journey took us to to Adelaide for uh, for four years. Um, my wife didn't know a soul when we went to Adelaide, but she was prepared to commit for the for the journey. It, it took us on a really sad, sad journey where um, where we lost a brother-in-law to uh, to brain cancer. Um, and there's been so many challenges that we've had to address over over a period of time. And that's what I'm talking about: the ups and downs. But once you make a commitment to someone, um, then you you follow it through to the end. And my commitment to Sam Mitchell is through to the end of next year. That commitment is to Sam, it's his commitment to Lyndall, his wife, and to his three children in um, Smith, Scarlett and Emerson. And that, um, that commitment was made 17 years ago when I walked into the, the doors of the Hawthorne Footy Club and Sam has paid me back in spades. And if it's my turn now to try to um, help him be a senior coach, um, to help him be the best person he can, can be, to help Lyndall be the... Uh, she's probably got the most challenging role of all, to be fair, uh, to be able to try and manage um, manage the family life in what is a, a position that 
requires a, a lot of dedication and what comes with that is a lot of scrutiny. Um, but um, yeah, the, the probably the mistake that Mitch and I made in hindsight um, in the haste of just trying to keep things all as normal as we possibly could, as we said, um, I, Mitch, I'll, I'll look after the day to day. And, uh, and he said, yeah, well, I'll, I'll look after the future. And in, in theory at the time, it, it sounded pretty good. Um, but what it, what it created was, um, was a little, was little silos in a sense that he was going to look after the future and I was going to look after the now, but there's just so much gray area between those silos that, um, we've, we've had to try to, to meet all these talk around mediation. I, I meet with Mitch every day, um, of which I've, I've done so again this morning. I did yesterday. Um, I've done so every day for the last two weeks. Um, and this supposed mediation session, the, the session that we had with uh, with Ray McLean and uh, and Rob McCartney was in actual fact um, using using Ray's great um, experience in the game um, and ironically along the along the way he's been associated with uh, with two transitions that are not too dissimilar to these ones and that was the the Buckley Malthouse transition and also the uh, the Longmire Roost transition so we had Ray there really to help help us try to navigate through what we're going to do but what we've realised in the uh, in the last week, particularly this week, once it's become such a such a public forum for for discussion, is that um, it's it's not me that really should be solely looking after the day to day of what's happening at the club now, and it's not Sam that should be just solely responsible for what's going on in the future. It's Sam and, and I uh, looking after what's going to go on now, and it's Sam and I looking after what's going on in the future. That will go until the end of two thousand and twenty-two, and I'm hopeful our club will be in a better position at that point in time in terms of showing the football world, but more importantly, our members and supporters, that the, uh, the direction that we're taking and the, and the, um, and the path that we want to tread over the, over the next few years is heading in the right direction for our footy club. But, but ideally, I'd love, our, uh, I'd love our supporters, um, our members, and even the wider football community to applaud Sam Mitchell for the... Um, Involvement that he's had at our club, but in the game today, he's been an iconic um, Hall of Famer. Really, he's going to be in the, um, when he becomes eligible in the, in the not too distant future. And um, and here's another opportunity for him to make an enormous contribution to our game going forward. And he's got my full support. He's had it for 17 years, despite what's been said over the last four weeks. He's got it for the next or well, beyond the next 18 months, really, because. This, uh, this relationship that I've got with the Mitchells and the Roughheads and the Hodges and the, the Gillams and the, the, these guys, the Vandenbergs, the Dixons, the, the Barkers, these guys, the Rattons, I could just go on and on for people that are really important um, in my life. And, um, and even though my time at the Hawthorne Footy Club is going to finish in a, a senior coaching capacity at the end of next year, um, I want those relationships to be... Um, lifelong and they have been uh, really important relationships to Karen and I over the, over the course of the last uh, last period of time that I've been at the, at the footy club and I want to continue to be that way and Sam is no different to that and if we can help he and Lyndall um, and their three beautiful kids if we can help them in any way possible over the next uh, you know 12 to 12 to 16 months or whatever it might be um, to transition into a senior coaching role, then uh, we're going to do that together. And it's going to be as smooth as we can possibly make it. And um, yeah, there'll be a bit of tension along the way, but uh, we're going to we're going to do it together. Um, I don't know any, <laughs> I don't know any marriage. I don't know any um, 
you know, business partnership or anything along the way where, where there isn't healthy tension in terms of having discussions about the, the path forward and the way that you should do things. And I welcome, I welcome that. We've never been backward in, um, in speaking our mind at our footy club within the walls of the club, knowing that there's, there's trust and respect that, um, that whatever we say, we, we align on eventually and, and get ourselves moving and bring others along the way with us. So that's going to be, that's going to be no different. So hopefully in that, I'm not sure if that was five minutes or it might have been 10, but hopefully in that, uh, in that uh, little spiel, um, you, you get to learn enough about me. Um, there's enough information there for you to, to um, understand how rock solid we are on the, uh, on the, on the transition and the, the path forward. And that, um, yeah, I'm happy to take any questions on, um, on this week's game or COVID or whatever it happens, but um, I can sit and answer questions about that for a long period of time and I'd probably prefer to leave that to post-game now and, uh, or on uh, Monday, Tuesday of next week. So if we fire away about that. There you have it, Alistair Clarkson. We will take your calls on the back of that, reaffirming his commitment to the Hawthorne Football Club. He says in sickness or in health, he will see this contract out through until the end of 2022. He says that he meets with Sam Mitchell most days, in fact, every day for the last two weeks. There were some mistakes that they've made in the announcement. We'll work through what it means and take your calls, one 736 736 on the back of this. Thank you to you, Alex. Strong media conference from Alistair Clarkson, just reaffirming some of the um, biggest talking points or areas that he did speak about. He reaffirmed his commitment to the Hawthorne Football Club. He said he signed six contracts at Hawthorne, and every one of those he went through to the end. He's extremely confident of the direction of the club and did say in sickness or in health, he will be there until the end of next year and see this thing out. He's got a strong relationship with Sam Mitchell. He said that um, he values the relationships with those key players and key leaders that he has crossed paths with and worked with his time at Hawthorne, and he values those relationships. He said the mistake that uh, the two... Um, two coaches did make was perhaps it sounded like uh, rushing into a decision now more so at, than at the end of the season and saying that Alistair Clarkson would look after the day-to-day and Mitchell would look after the future didn't work and it created some grey areas so they will now focus uh, on the footy club together. Uh, they have met every day for the last two weeks and they have met this morning and in terms of any relationship breakdown he says there are none. one 736 736 Alistair Clarkson is off the table. He cannot go to Collingwood now. He cannot go to Carlton now. Not saying he can't do it at the end of next year, but in terms of coaching at another club next year, he cannot go back on his word. So he will be at, and I believe him, and you have to, and it's what I've said from the moment I heard him speak after this announcement. He said it, and he's a man of his word. He's not leaving. He's there. And he's going to see this thing through. Whether that's what Hawthorne want or not, I'm not sure. But he is there. one 736 736 Let's go to Perth and speak to Nick. Uh, what's your view on it, Nick? G'day, Volcano. Uh, yeah, well, I think now it's come out, and I, I believe him too from the very start, I think Caro needs to just get off a high horse about him going to Carlton. He's come out and said it now, so he's put it to bed. End the story. Yep. Yeah, well, he can't. He can't leave now. So not 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 next year. So he can't. So the Collingwood job's off because uh, a coach isn't going to go there for a, a one year contract. Um, you know, not not to say he. You know, many other options won't open up in the next eighteen months. But he's coaching at Hawthorne next year. He cannot 
go back on his word now. I mean, how many times is he going to say it? He's he said in sickness or in health, he's going to be there. So he's coaching at Hawthorne next year. He's finally put it to bed, not for the first time, but as emphatically as we have heard it. John's in Richmond. What'd you make of the the media conference, John? Uh, hi, Kane. Yeah, just on uh, yeah, Clarkson's um, presser. I think it, he made it as much sense now as the opposition leader for the Victorian government. He absolutely waffled on, waffled and waffled, made no sense whatsoever. He crapped on about stuff 20 years ago. Clearly, he's hanging on by a bare thread. Like, they don't want him there. And he's, you know, making callbacks to 20 years ago and stuff like that. Like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not with it at all at all. I think... They want him gone. He wants to go, but he he won't leave until he gets paid out. Simple as well, that. Well, and and has he called has he called Jeff Kennett's bluff? Or was this was this a Jeff Kennett move to force Alistair out? And with the the vacancy at Collingwood, did you know as as you would speculate that he would be ideal? And thinking that essentially he's been sacked, would he move on and and break that contract, meaning that Hawthorne don't have to pay him out? Well, Clarko's called that bluff. So the Hawks are on the hook for 1.2 of his contract for him to be essentially the babysitter coach for Sam Mitchell. And Mitchell would be paid a fair whack as well. So there goes most of the $6 million in the soft cap towards Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell. Doesn't leave a lot for anyone else. So he's called their bluff. And strategically, um, he's done it beautifully. It was interesting where he told the journos you can't ask a question. Uh, that's the bit I don't agree with. Because then you do, as John said, then you do get the waffle. If, you know... Have your statement. Uh, say say what you said about reaffirming your commitment and that, that you will be there. All you had to say was that you've got a strong relationship with Sam Mitchell and that you meet daily and the reports are untrue. Now I'm opening it up to questions. I don't understand why there's the... Uh, I don't know why he's so against asking questions from journalists. I mean, he's pretty accustomed to doing that. So shutting down the journos and then getting the waffle dating back to 20 years is is why he should have just opened it up to, to the media. But anyway, I'm sure they'll get their opportunity, as Clarko said, after Saturday's game against the Crows. Dave's in Sydney. What did you make of it, Dave? Oh, just a quick one, uh, Kane. How's the new coffee machine going, mate? The new coffee machine's magnificent. I've got to say, I don't, I'd don't. i give it a plug if I could, but I can't remember the brand of it. So are you yeah. my man that helped me out last time, eh? Well, I tried to. I suggested that you yeah, go to YouTube, and I could no, see I the up. relationship. The relationship you had with the old one uh, should have been preserved, but you moved on. And I just wanted to make sure that you were forming a new relationship, a yeah. new bond with that new machine. No, nah, so we basically replaced the old one. So exactly the same brand, just the newer version. So we got ten years out of. Yeah. If I get ten years out of a thousand dollar coffee machine, that's amazing. Well, that's good value. So I've mm. just upgraded, and no issues. So thank you to you. Thank you to you, Dave. Yeah, yeah, no problems, mate. Uh, look, just a, a quick one on the Clarko. Um, and you sort of started to touch on this, really. I was listening to it and I was feeling for Jeff Kennett. Uh, you know, uh, Clarko started to get on to all of the people that had been important on field and then moved to off field. And Jeff must have been sitting there listening to it, thinking to himself, surely he's going to mention me. Surely he's going to mention me. Oh, he hasn't mentioned me. Oh, and I can see that uh, this next 12 months or so, Clarko is going to be doing this almost in spite of Jeff Kennett. And I expect some fireworks along the way. So not between uh, Clarkson and Mitchell, but uh, any opportunity that uh, Clarko gets to uh, just give uh, Jeff a little bit of a whack along the way, I can see it coming, Kane. Yeah, and I can see that coming as well. Uh, what will be uh, the... the 
the next layer to this story. So it's it's got everything that you need, this story. Three really strong personalities. It's so similar to Buckley, Malthouse, Maguire. The three strong personalities, big club. Um, the speculation, it's not going to end the speculation. So um, that that's that's a fact that we're going to speculate on this and how it's going all next year. What will add another layer to it is if, if Hawthorne, and I don't believe they're possible and capable of doing this, if they start to become successful next year. And, and, and Clarko, as the most competitive coach I think we've ever seen, somehow gets them up, they get some key players back, and they push for a significant run towards the finals. As I said, I don't, I've got no faith in their list. I think their list is probably the last list I would want out of any of the 18 teams in the competition. But should he make a run, an unlikely one next year to the finals, that would be the last. That would be him having the last say, which would be fascinating to watch. Uh, let's go to Guy, who's in Geelong. Your thoughts on it, Guy? Hi, Kane. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, Kane. Look, don't people get it? It's respect. He's a decent chap. I'm a Geelong supporter. He's been our arch enemy for a long time. But that man is a respectful man. He respects the Hawthorne Footy Club. And he's a great ambassador, and he should actually get into politics eventually. If people want to question the pure fact that he's loyal to that footy club and wants to set them in the right direction, they need to have a look at themselves. All these conspiracy theories and that woman, I don't even watch her on TV. I, 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 it's just a lot of rot that no, she hang makes on. up. Her, her name's Caroline Wilson. She, she doesn't make anything up. She believes what she says through speaking to sources. Now... Her response to this will be as fascinating as the Clarkson media conference. She's going to get um, another say on this, and that will be put to her. And as we do on Footy Classified, the conversations get awkward, and that's what makes the show unique. And that's what will happen once again on Monday night and uh, on probably radio over the weekend as well. But uh, she will get a response. But we don't need to um, talk down to, to people. She's very good at what she does, Guy. Uh, and we'll get some more mileage out of it when we when we hear from her on Footy Classified on Monday night. It's 18 minutes to 11 o'clock. Taking your calls on that. We're also going to change things up a little bit. Amazing scenes in Milwaukee. There's the, the new face of the NBA is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And we're going to speak to... We're going to go all the way to M- Milwaukee and speak to our man, J.R. Radcliffe, from the Milwaukee Sentinel on the other side of this. Phil Davis after 11 o'clock. The quiz. And also, Basil Zemplis. The Olympics gets underway tonight. Looking forward to doing that right now. 17 minutes to 11. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Like it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go, like, I don't want to put anybody in this part, but I could go to a super team and, you know, just do my part and win a championship. Still one. But this is the hard way to do it and this is the way. And we did it. We did it. That was the NBA's, well, he's probably the face of the league now, Yanis Anasakumpo. After his Milwaukee Bucks got it done in six over the Phoenix Suns, they are NBA champions. To tell us all about it and take us through the scenes in Milwaukee is J.R. Radcliffe, sports reporter for the Milwaukee Sentinel. J.R., thanks for your time. Absolutely, anytime. Hey, the scenes were unbelievable in Milwaukee. So, yes, those that were lucky enough to get a ticket for Game 6, but what about the scenes outside the stadium? How many were there? Uh, The estimates are about 65,000 people that were out in what they call the Deer District right in front of the stadium. Uh, It it uh, it had been expanded for Game 6, so they've been getting 
they've been getting 30,000 people out there, but essentially doubled it for Game Six. It was it was unlike anything that I've I've seen in downtown Milwaukee before. It was a total festival atmosphere. All of downtown was basically shut down for this game, and then you know two days later the parade, uh, probably even more people for that as well, like lining the streets. So it's it's been just a ridiculous festival like atmosphere all all these last forty eight hours in Milwaukee. Yeah, I've, I've read and listened to a lot of podcasts and they say that the Milwaukee um, basketball supporters are so great, like so passionate. It's been, what, 50 years since they've won a title. What does it mean to the city? It's huge, of course. I mean, there's two major sports teams here, the Bucks and the Brewers, both doing very well right now. For the Bucks, it's just, it, it's, it's this pretty rapid transformation. You know, they, in 20, 2013, they draft Giannis and they get Chris Middleton, they trade for Chris Middleton. That first season together, they, they won 15 basketball games in the regular season. They, they won 16 in these playoffs, you know? Like, it, it, it didn't mm. take long for them to get their footing, but there were some really dark times in Milwaukee. And the, the, the fan appreciation has definitely increased in the last few years. There have been some real diehards that, that were following the Bucks in those really lean years as recently as eight years ago. Uh, and, and since then, with, with Giannis here, the, the enthusiasm has just exploded, especially in the last three years where they've been one of the best teams in the NBA. So, so yeah, the, the undercurrent of basketball has, has really come to the forefront here. And, you know, Milwaukee's a town that one of the smallest, one of the smallest sports markets here in, in the United States. So anytime, you know, there's, there's a little kind of a little kid mentality where, like, we're not going to let the big guys brutalize mm. us, you know, beat us around a little bit. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet to, to have a championship and uh, to have done it, beating uh, beating teams like Brooklyn and, and teams that were, you know, kind of kind of some of the bigger markets along the way. Hey, uh, Jr. There was a lot of people that got um, Giannis wrong, didn't they? I mean, there was. We always knew he's an absolute superstar, but could he be that one, that single player that carries a team to a championship with the free throw shooting, with the three point shooting, and the, the weakness in that area? Did you think he had this in him? Because that was one of the all-time great final series performances. I'm not surprised he had that finals in him. I'm surprised that he was capable of it uh, just a couple weeks removed from what looked like a catastrophic injury. You know, we all thought here that he was done after after he went down with a knee injury against Atlanta in game four. We thought he was done. We thought he was, you know, it looked like a torn ACL, right? Like it looked like Mm. he was going to be out the rest of this year, maybe most of next year. And not only is he capable of coming back, but he comes back at, at that level. I, I don't know if anybody could have seen that. He, even him coming back in game one and having scoring like 20 points was, was a miracle. And then by game two, he's scoring the first of two straight 40-point games, 50 points in game six. I mean, he had a, he had a moment in every one of those games in the series. So, so that, that was really something. I do think it was fair to wonder in the Brooklyn series, after they'd gone down 2 nothing against Brooklyn, in the Eastern Conference semifinals against a team that a lot of people thought was going to win the whole thing, if if they could win with Giannis without a, without a Kevin Durant, you know, there's mm. that juxtaposition with Kevin Durant there. He's a guy who can score from anywhere on the floor. Giannis can't do that. You know, he doesn't have a jump shot. He, he does struggle at the free throw line. So I do think it was fair to wonder in the moment, like maybe this just isn't a formula that's going to work. Uh, and then they came back and answered, sort of answered that question in that net series when they won that series. Uh, and then uh, and then just carry that through. So uh, I mean, just special stuff. Having his game six, I mean, he just he just put the whole city on his back, man, and uh, and led them to a title. It was it was unbelievable to watch. 
It was. It was amazing. It was a great series um, without some of the more high-profile teams not being there. Uh, before we let you go, what, what does the, the schedule look like now? The NBA draft is next week, and then the players will get some time off. When is um, next year's season going to start? Has that been locked in? It has not been locked in. I would imagine it'll be a little bit earlier than it did this year with, with, with the start in December. I'm sure they're going to try to get it closer to a regular NBA schedule, but I'm still I'm – still, doubting that they're going to be able to start this at like the end of October. So um, remains to be seen a little bit. I, I'm sure, you know, I, I'm sure for the Bucks it'll be a pretty quick turnaround no matter what. Two, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, two of their, obviously two of their best players, they're, they're about to head over to Tokyo for the Olympics. So they'll be, they'll be working hard here through the next mm. month or at least two weeks. And then, you know, then you don't get a lot of downtime no matter what. So it's, it's going to be a quick turnaround no matter what they do. Uh, but but that's fine. Nobody nobody's going to complain about it in Milwaukee. They got they got their championship. They got their trophy. Absolutely, Jr. Thanks so much for the update. Appreciate your time. Absolutely, anytime. Jr. Radcliffe from the uh, the Milwaukee Sentinel. Sixty five thousand. Think about what everyone's going through here. Sixty five thousand outside the arena in the Deirdre district, watching Milwaukee win the NBA championship. Unbelievable scenes. Six minutes to eleven. On SEM, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Uh, we might cross to Chicky Boke, who's the mother of uh, Travis. You heard her on Waitley during the week. Uh, amazing story developing. She has seen most of her son's games, which is difficult. I remember like, right from the start, she was at most games traveling from Victoria to watch Bokey play. She got into Adelaide in time to be here for the Friday night game. Uh, realised the game wasn't going to be here, so drove back to Melbourne before the borders closed. Obviously can't be there or couldn't be there because of no crowds on Friday. She is now part of the AFL Nation commentary team, which means that she will get to see her son play his 300th game. It's an unbelievable story. Well done to everyone from AFL Nation and SEN who have made this happen. We might speak to her before 12 o'clock and just exactly what this means to her. But Chicky Boke in commentary on AFL Nation tonight. She can see her son play in game number 300. We'll speak a little bit about that after 11 o'clock. Right now, it's time for the news. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Three minutes past 11 o'clock. Good morning and welcome in. We'll take your calls through until 12 o'clock today. Also going to speak to Basil Zemplis and Chicky Boak, who... Um, amazingly has been approved to be part of the AFL Nation commentary team tonight, meaning that she can see her son Travis play in game number 300. What a significant milestone that is for that Port Adelaide champion. Uh, There are 136 new local cases in New South Wales today, 53 infectious in the community. Gladys Berejiklian is calling it a national emergency Um, which doesn't help our next guest, of course. They have been through the absolute ringer, Sydney and the GWS players. The Giants' former captain is Phil Davis. He joins us. Phil, thanks so much for your time. Hey, Kane. Thanks for having me, mate. Is it... Are you are you gripped to what's going on? Is it have you have you moved past the point of you know being captivated by uh, politicians' press conferences and what's happening at home? I mean, what's going through your mindset uh, at the moment, you and you and the group? Yeah, I, I guess we probably tracked the numbers, uh, in particular when we first went down to Melbourne, um, hoping that we'd get back to Sydney within the sort of 10 to 14 days. And then it's sort of, from that point of view, we've sort of had to slow, slowly become less, um, um, you know, linked to Focused, those numbers every yeah. day because it's just, it's just, 
it obviously can have an emotional toll and you know you're trying to balance between hey what's probable versus what you can actually control and I guess that's probably where we've shifted our attention now and then um, you know you look at those numbers now and now our focus is less about you know can we get back in the in the short term versus hopefully the health and safety of people in New South Wales and Sydney in particular. Mm. Well said. Uh, where is everyone's families at, Phil? Uh, there, there is uh, an agreement and a strategy to bring everyone out. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're fortunate that um, you know, a, a solid amount of family were able to transition to a hub uh, yesterday afternoon up in, in, in Brisbane, which was fantastic. Unfortunately, due to um, you know, some complications around how it works, not everyone could get their family up because it was going to be you know, not as, you know, uh, what's the right word, like loose in terms of the movements around a hotel or a resort like last year's because of the Delta variant. So, you know, some, unfortunately, some families um, didn't make the trip just because it's going to be too hard, but we're fortunate enough to get a fair few in, so we're very thankful for that. Um, and that started yesterday afternoon, so two weeks of quarantine for them. So uh, the realistic uh, view is that the, the players will be able to see their families in two weeks from yesterday, essentially, finally. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's that's the best way to summarise mm. it. About you know, majority that have got partners and kids and and, and family. Uh, yeah, two weeks two weeks uh, from yesterday. Mm. How's how you all holding up? I mean, a lot of people have got family in Victoria. Not that you've been able to catch up with them much either, because they're in lockdown. But is the is the group going okay, Phil? Or have you is it, have you had your moments? No, I I think we're going really well. I must admit, I'd be really uh, proud of um, you know the energy and enthusiasm that we've approached training and games. I think in all every game we've played um, since we've been away, we've actually started really, really well and put up a really good fight. And then um, you know, the games have turned different. But Monday to Friday has been really good too. So you, know, you always have your moments. There are always tough times um, for people at various times. But collectively, we're about to really hang in tough and you know, I think putting in some pretty good performance. Obviously, elements have been disappointing, but um, you know, I don't think that's always been related to the situation we're in. Uh, can we talk about the, the team for a bit and focus on the footy? Some some big ins, including Lockie Whitfield and big Shane Mumford. That's, um, of course, the extended squads at the moment. Um, in terms of Lockie Whitfield, he, he's good to go. And an update on, on Josh Kelly as well, if we can. Yeah, we'll start with Josh. Josh is looking really good. He um, you know, he, he rolled that ankle against Carlton a few weeks ago. And um, as we all know, when you roll them, and again, relatively quickly, they hurt, but they actually recover quite quickly. So... Um, you know, we're expecting him to play. He's one fiftieth as well, which is fantastic, which makes him a life member. And then, yeah, Lockie got that delayed concussion after that um, hit against Gold Coast, and um, he's had a relatively seamless, um, you know, sort of rehab from that concussion and going through the protocol. So they're obviously terrific, um, you know, ins for us. Obviously, Josh back from being medi subbed out of the game. Then you look at Shane Mumford. And, you know, losing Matty Flynn was obviously really disappointing because I think he's showing some really, really promising signs. And, um, you know, Mummy had a week off just to rest that back. So we'll get him back and hopefully he can give us a real lift around the ball. What sort of shape are you in? You've played the, the last, what do you played the last four games after a really, no, you played the last five after that really long layoff with soft tissue. What sort of shape are you in? You seem to be holding up pretty well. Yeah, Kane, you know, touch wood. Yeah. <laughs> feeling, feeling pretty good at the moment. I, you know, it's been a frustrating sort of period um, and this has been nice to play some continuity um, you know I had a really good run until round 10 last year and then wasn't so good for a while and then you know the last four or five weeks I started to feel as though I'm running well again which has been really nice and I must admit one of the most pleasing aspects has been being a part of this um, back line which is 
significantly younger than the one that I sort of played in at the start of last year. Mm. Um, when we look at uh, the season as a whole, the prospect of not going home until the end of the year, is it, has it been discussed with you or is there still some sort of hope in whatever way it can be um, that you might get home and perhaps pause the season or not? Is that unrealistic now, do you think? Yeah, I, I guess I wear, I wear two hats here in the sense that one hat is, you know, as a, you know, just a broader AFL um, industry person that, you know, I think it's best for everyone involved in the game that we continue to, you know, sort of charge on and um, get get moving. Obviously, people have different opinions on that. That's just my personal opinion. And I just think it's really important that, you know, we just keep um, getting these games because so many people rely on us on us playing. I still think, you know, the little bits here and there where, you know, a, a Toby Green or a Rowan Marshall, unfortunately, have to miss a game or a Josh Dunkley, that's just, you know, very unfortunate. But we, we as an industry need to continue to, to move ahead. Um, and then from our point of view, you know, as a as a Giants person, is a obviously we'd love to get home and you know play games in front of our home fans and and, and sleep in our own bed, but you know we don't get too better to that idea just because things are changing and if we have to stay up here, we'll, we'll, we'll stay up here and we'll and we'll make it work and hopefully put in some really strong performances. Uh, did he speak that uh, Toby got on the front foot and organised some more suitable accommodation so um, he's able to actually exercise and keep sort of fit? What what sort of conditions is he living in for the next I don't know six or seven days? Yeah, he's been, you know, he was obviously um, able to make some phone calls and, you know, obviously all within Queensland Health Protocols was able to just get more space, which enabled them, you know, to get, you know, some bit of space to get the treadmill in and do all this. So, you know, I'm expecting him to get a fair bit of work in as well as DeBoer and, you know, Kieran Briggs is now, you know, even more important than he was probably a week ago because of the unfortunate injury and, you know, he's had a good year too and Jake Steen as well. So we're expecting them to be able to get a fair bit of work in and I think, you know, that more than likely should all be, you know, playing fit when they come out. You spoke to uh, Channel 7, I think it was, yesterday, just from your experience of um, a kidney trauma and how significant it was after that injury that's been well documented now. Uh, you shared some insight with what you went through medically where a doctor came in and without really consulting you too much, wanted to remove the kidney. Uh, you sought some specialists, other specialists who were able to save it. I mean, a, a pretty good decision that you make, but... In terms of what Dustin Martin would be going through, you'd be the one to speak about perhaps what he's feeling and, and what his recovery is like. Yeah, I, I vividly remember just my one all being about can I keep that kidney because I'd sort of made the mind up in my head that if I lost it, I wouldn't have played. And I think once mm. I'd got through that and things had slowly started to improve, um, I really felt as though it was all just about being patient and just letting my body heal because obviously once you get internal organ damage and I think that's probably where Dusty would sit obviously I can't speak on his behalf but mm. you know he's at a position now where he's had really time to stabilize and you know obviously having a lacerated kidney is not ideal just the amount of blood you could potentially lose especially if you don't treat it with the due respect and you know, he'll just be trying to listen to the best advice and you know I think they've made a really strong decision that you know a few months no contact and really give him the best chance to heal because you know for me personally I've been able to recover fully from my end um, obviously just lost a portion of my kidney, but um, in terms of my life function, it's completely normal, and I don't think you ever want to put that at jeopardy um, for anything. So I think he'll just be there, taking it easy, listening to the best advice, and you know I'm expecting and hoping that he has a full recovery. You said, I think to use your words, you felt rubbish. I think was the term you used for was it four or five weeks post. What is what did you actually? Can you describe what you felt and how you were feeling when you when you say rubbish? Yeah, well, I guess the first two weeks after I was in hospital for the whole time, 
and just just a lack of energy. Um, you know, standing up was a bit of an effort. Um, then you start to slowly feel a bit better, but I had an enormous blood clot in my stomach just from where the blood had pulled and it leaked out. Mm. It was like the size of a football, so moving was very, very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a lethargy and just general state of uncomfort that I sort of struggled with. Um, obviously, I think a large part of that was just that the football size blood clot in my stomach that was just sort of floating around. But yeah, it was just it was just the energy and just the general aches and pains. And and the sorry to harp on it, but the collision was it just the instant? I think you said winded and and really sharp pain, and and you thought that you saw Dustin's injury and you knew well you didn't knew, but you suspected that the similar um, issue had happened to him. Yeah, I just remember mine was I just got a little knee from the side. It wasn't even that forceful, and I remember just the instant pain and just loss of breath. And then, um, you know, I, I, I must admit, when you get hit there, you just think ribs. You know, that was probably mm. my first thought. And then I'd never broken a rib before, and I was like, Jesus, painful. And I just played out the game, which was, you know, you know retrospectively pretty silly. And I was just short of breath a lot. And just to see Dusty go down and be short of breath, you know, in that position, obviously the pain and the amount of impact from Robinson, like, it was a solid collision, but it wasn't enormous, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I was sort of like, yeah. oh, that's a pretty considerable reaction. And that just sort of, you know, scared me. I was sitting next to Matt Bunton, I said, that like looks like a kidney to me. But obviously being it so rare, that was probably a bit of a stretch. But um, unfortunately, it proved correct. Mm. Have you reached out to Dusty, or would you be open to, to chatting to him if you had any questions? Oh, no, definitely open to chatting to him. I think from my point of view, I was very lucky that, you know, Tom Lonigan and Nick Maxwell and Glenn Bartlett all reached out to me and I had a chat to them. And, you know, I've, I've got in contact with Ivan Marich and Jack Real to say if Dusty wants to chat to me, mm. um, my phone's always on. So, um, you know, I think, you know, that's the great thing about being a, a footballer and in the community is that everyone's willing to help um, when they need it. If you ever wanted you know, someone to talk to or listen to his story and somehow be able to relate, I'd always be open to that. Hey, before we let you go, a quick word on, on the Bombers. Uh, they've been playing some good footy and a really exciting sort of young list. How have you had a look at them as a team this week and, and what are you going to be wary of on Sunday? Yeah, Kenny, you know, exciting is a great word to describe. I'm obviously coached by Ben Rutten, my former team mate, so that's always a nice little element. And, um, yeah, they're just they're playing really exciting. We've obviously got a lot of great young players, but um, they've got some really experienced players now in, in, in Merritt and Parrish. Um, Dylan Shield might be back. So we're expecting... a you know, them trying to play a really quick game, which is what they do, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, mate, good luck. Appreciate your time and, and sharing your knowledge with us. As always, this morning, appreciate it. And um, understand how tough it is and everyone's thinking of you, but the sacrifice you and, and your teammates are making is extraordinary to keep uh, a lot of people in a job. So um, well well said this morning, and um, we'll catch up with you soon. Cheers, Kane. Thanks for having me, mate. Phil Davis from the Giants, pretty um, extreme injury that he suffered. And I think mean, the details, I mean, some years on, just starting to come through of how significant it was. And to hear that if he had lost that kidney, uh, he would have, he had in his mind that he would have given the game away. So uh, Dustin Martin's still in hospital. Hopefully, uh, sounds like the club have him in the best possible hands in the season. He won't play again, um, but... You know, I don't think there'll be any ongoing issues there, but you can understand how perilous things can be. Uh, it's 16 minutes to 11 o'clock. Happy to take a call or two from you now. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. 
23 minutes past seven o'clock. The AFL have announced a new competition committee and some new members, which we will get to after our very special next guest. Channel 7, the Mayor of Perth, Basil Zemplis, is in Melbourne for the coverage of the Olympic Games. Baz, thanks for your time. Kane, hi, mate. Terrific to be with you again. And, uh, yeah, getting really exciting now, I must say. Yeah, today's the day. It always feels like a huge build-up, this one. Obviously, longer than ever and uh, a bit complicated as well. But, uh, yes, today is the day and it's very exciting. Hey, what's, it, what's it like in there at, at Seven, Basil? I mean, the coverage is already, we've already seen it. It's always outstanding and clean and crisp and we know all that. The analysis is great. But in terms of logistically, what's it like in studio? Yeah, it's it, look, it's organised chaos. Uh, the people that have been running our production have been at it for a long time. Nick Barrows, our executive producer, does an enormous job uh, under the uh, leadership now of Lewis Martin, who's the head of sport. It's a well-oiled machine, and uh, the backroom boys and girls are just phenomenal. Um, and then, of course, when Bruce walks in and Thorpey and Liesl mm. Jones and... Uh, and all of the former athletes, Andrew Bogut, who are who are part of our team, obviously, yeah, just a huge spring in everybody's step. And Amir's, Nick Green, it's, uh, I tell you what, I mean, really, you want to have your autograph book just walking around the compound. It's it's quite phenomenal. And, you know, in some ways, it's, it's different not being in Tokyo. There's no secret of that. Everybody knows mm. that uh, we, the commentators, are here in Australia. Uh, we've got a small crew on the ground in Tokyo, different times, obviously, COVID. But in, in many ways, it's almost a bit more collegiate because we see more of each other. It feels like we're on a team together. When you're at the venues or in the host city, you very rarely see the other commentators. So mm. in that sense, uh, there's an extra, extra little uh, bonus about these uh, unusual times that we're in. How many have you been to personally, Basil? How many Olympics? So this is my, well, working on my eighth, obviously I'm not in Tokyo, but this will be my eighth, five summer and three winter. And um, the last two, this well, this one and, and Rio uh, taking over from, well, Dennis and then Bruce with Ray Warren mm. in the middle uh, when nine had it, uh, the big names to follow doing the swimming. And uh, it's a brilliant sport. And obviously we do so well at it. And there's a lot of expectation on it. And uh, to work with Ian and Liesl, uh, Gian previously and Grant Hackett as well. It, uh, it's really pinch yourself stuff. And uh, look, I love the swimming and I love the athletes and uh, it's a great environment to be around. And uh, yeah, it's it's re- for a broadcaster, I must say, it's exciting. I, I don't really get nervous. With all the things I do, you, you tend not to get that nervous. I mean, you're always speaking or performing or doing something. And mm. But these are the big... They, probably as a broadcaster, these are the big moments. The big Olympic finals are... Uh, just about as big as it gets. So um, it's always uh, a little bit nerve-wracking. But, um, you know, once you've done it a bit, you, you know what you're looking for. You know where you can trip up and where things might go right, might go wrong. So most of all, it's just great anticipation. Really excited. Yeah, the swimming begins tomorrow night, which you'll be leading the coverage of. Does it take you some time to get your rhythm? Like uh, calling off a, off a screen, do you think you'll just hit the ground running or will you sort of work into it, Basil? How, how much practice yeah, have you no, done? You, 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 certainly, you certainly work into your work. There's no doubt about that. And, and as with the swimmers themselves, we get to blow it out with the heats and uh, then mm. into the semifinals. But it does come thick and fast. And those, what will be the morning sessions here in Australia, um, which are, are obviously the finals, they are chaotic, exciting, um, awe-inspiring one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half-hour sessions. And uh, 
gold medals and, and history being rewritten and uh, fortunes being changed and lives being changed in, in, in those couple of hours. It's, uh, it's intense, but it's, uh, it's quite breathtaking as well. So, and, and, and so many chances, obviously, from an Australian point of view. It's, uh, there's great expectation. I've seen some suggestions that uh, perhaps uh, the Melbourne Hall of eight gold medals is not out of reach. That would be a stretch, I reckon, mm. but... Uh, Certainly, we've got a lot of live chances, no doubt. If you had to say who you are most confident in, in the pool of winning a gold medal, who would that one individual athlete be, do you think? Yeah, probably ever so slightly against the grain. I think everybody talking up Ariane Titmus in the in the two and the 400 freestyle, and that is absolutely no doubt. She's a huge chance against Katie Ledecky in those events. I think, though, Kaylee McEwen, by virtue of the fact that she's the 100 backstroke world record holder and she did it only a few weeks back, I think if I had to absolutely pick one individual to to lock it in, it would be Kaylee ever so slightly above Ariane Fitness. Our 4x100 freestyle relay women are also... There's no locks at this level, but they are probably our best gold medal chance. But from the individuals, Kaylee McEwen, Ariane Titmus, I think an enormous chance for Emma McKeon to break through for an individual gold medal as well. And you can't uh, count out the South Australian Kyle Chalmers. Uh, enormous, and he's a brilliant racer, and he loves this mm. environment. And Elijah Winnington is the other one in the men's 400 freestyle. So a lot of live chances. And uh, I think uh, I think the Australian audiences are just going to go, just about to go on the ride of their lives with these games. I think it's going to be quite brilliant. Yeah, I think so. It comes at a, I mean, a great time for so many doing it tough in Australia in lockdown and looking for entertainment and things to do. I mean, it's just to have a feast of sports going to be unbelievable. Are the conditions over there for the athletes? What What are you hearing from your man? I think Nathan Templeton is is the man over there in Tokyo. What What are you hearing? Um, the response from the athletes who have been placed under these, you know. Conditions like we've never seen before. Yeah, I, look, I think they understand it. And they're so delighted, mm. you know, all of the training that they have done to be able to get there and to be able to compete. I, I guess the other big factor there is no crowds in the in the stands or in the stadium. So that's going to be unusual. I know from uh, hearing Grant Hackett talk about this, uh, his view is that once they're in the water, in the swimming specifically, it won't make much difference. Uh, probably... It'll be different after they win their event or don't win their event. That's when the crowd can help uh, console or celebrate with you. And then many of them will be getting on a plane and coming back once their competitions uh, shortly after have finished. But uh, Nathan and the others that I've spoken to over there in Tokyo say, as with everything you would expect from the Japanese host, very well organised. All of the COVID measures absolutely uh, 100% being followed to the letter of the law. And a good spirit on the ground today. Um, it, it, it's been a, a bit of a subdued build-up because of, mm. of the environment. Uh, but today, as they woke up today, uh, the word from our people on the ground was, you knew, it was um, you knew it was today. You knew that tonight was the night of the opening ceremony. And uh, it's a great feather in the Japanese people's cap, really, to get these games to this point, to get them to the start line. It would have been easy for the IOC and for the host just to say, look, too hard, we might just give it away. And unfortunately, we've missed our turn. But I think credit to them. And to your point earlier, for those in lockdowns in in South Australia, uh, New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland have got their issues. Um, 
you know, we love the Olympics at the best of times, and, and this is one of the worst times. And, and I, I think people will enjoy and embrace watching the athletes giving their best and get a smile on their faces. And, mm. and we're certainly hoping that it, it helps uh, put in perspective what we're going through here, but also just helps, uh, helps people forget uh, what a difficult patch this is in our, in our recent history. And it's not the end of the world, obviously. We'll get through this. But uh, we're very hopeful that the Olympic spirit that people will see on the television screens coming through will, will really help lift their spirits as well right around the country. Basil, can you hang around till 2032? I tell you what, I've been thinking that. I, Josh Kay, our legendary stats man, I think you know Josh, uh, I, I put a checklist to him. I, I threw some names at him. <laughs> who can and who can't still be going in 20... The first name was Bruce. No one prepared to rule Bruce out. That's the first thing we said. Uh, 11 years... Uh, I mean, Bruce will rule himself out, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gives it a mighty shake. And if, and if Bruce is still there and seven of the uh, host broadcasts as well... Who would anyone else want to be uh, not mm. to be on that team? I must say it's a lure. It certainly is. And um, uh, it, it, look, Kane, it's the AFL is brilliant. Um, it's an incredible sport to be involved in, and an incredible level of competition. It's so professional, but this is something else. And um, I must say, it's a great privilege to have been as close to it as I've been over the years. And uh, when I when I give it all away, and whenever or when it gets given away on me. Uh, I will certainly look back on these times and think, wow, how lucky I have been. It's, uh, it's an incredible privilege to be a part of it. Well, mate, you're a star. You're across multiple sports, so talented as are you and the rest of your team. Can't wait. All eyes on Tokyo as the world reunites as one of the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games opening ceremony. 8.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time on Channel 7. Basil, get to work. Can't wait to see you in action. Very kind, Kane. Thanks, mate. See you soon. Uh, Basil's Zemplis, just updating the coronavirus situation in South Australia. There is one new case overnight detected in hotel quarantine. So that person was at an exposure site, moved to hotel quarantine, which is confusing for the other way states do it, but that's the way they do it over here. So good news out of South Australia this morning. Let's get the latest with Alex Riddell for the 11.30 news. Yeah, we've got a great story to share next. Uh, I, I do love it when uh, people get behind... Um, well, I'm trying to help other people, really, and that's, that's what uh, we've done here. Not that uh, um, us right now have done, had anything to do with it, but to to uh, to Jules and to Brooksy and the team behind the scenes, and, and probably to Hutchie, who would have uh, had his influence over it, to get Travis Boak's mother accredited to be a commentator for the AFL Nation commentary team tonight, so that she could see her son playing game number 300. You've got no idea what that would mean to the family um, and to, uh, to, and we'll get her on. So we'll, we'll, we'll get Chicky to tell us what it means to her. She's going to join us next, but it's a magnificent story. If you want to have your say as well about the, the massive, um, massives and overreaction, the big media conference that Alistair Clarkson held uh, this morning uh, in response to the speculation over the rift between him and Clarkson and what he's going on at Hawthorne, you can have your say, but just to reiterate what Alistair Clarkson said, he guaranteed he'll be there next year. So we can full stop, put it to bed. No one can now talk about Alistair Clarkson not being at Hawthorne after what he said this morning. If it wasn't put to bed already, it is now. Clarko's at Hawthorne next year. So that is off the table. one 736 And just quickly before we get to Chicky, the AFL has announced eight people from across the wider football industry 
will join the AFL competition committee ahead of its uh, meeting to be held in August. So next month, August the 25th. So the new AFL competition committee members, uh, Simone Wilkie, AFL commissioner, Kylie Watson-Wheeler, Western Bulldogs president, Simon Garlick, CEO of Fremantle, Josh Marnie, Essendon, GM of football, Alan Richardson, Melbourne, GM of football, Laura Kane, North Melbourne, GM in strategy and football operations, Brett Ratton, and Jacob Wietering is the only player represented there. They are the new members of the football committee, which is established and played an important role in assisting in the AFL Executive and Commission with its deliberations relating to present and future strategies of the game. You know what I hope? I hope they scrap the stand rule. On that note, we'll speak to Chicky Boat. The mother of Travis plays game number 300 tonight, and she's going to be there. We'll find out how on the other side of this. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Mum, my auntie and my older sister are currently driving back from Adelaide, uh, back to Victoria today. Uh, they were uh, with me this past week. They got into they got into Adelaide before the borders shut, and um, I was able to spend a few days with them this week, which was uh, which was great. But they were obviously planning to to come to the game in Adelaide and uh, and be there to support me, um, knowing that the the borders were going to shut in um, in Victoria from Adelaide to Victoria. So they got over, and then uh, obviously yeah, yesterday was uh, was a whirlwind for them, thinking they weren't coming, then were coming to the game, and then. And they're not coming, so at this stage they won't be able to be there, which is which is sad. But um, you know, we had a good uh, a good chat last night, a dinner, a family dinner last night, and, and kind of celebrated in in some way. And I know that they'll be there in spirit, and I know that they've um, they've they've given me so much over the journey, and there's no doubt I'll be running out with them and, and for them on Friday night. Travis spoke, speaking ahead of game 300 tonight, and after thinking she wasn't going to be able to to attend, as you just heard. Son Travis detail there. Chicky Boke is now part of the AFL Nation commentary team with Jared Waitley, Anthony Hudson, Jared Healy, and Jordan Lewis, and she joins us. Chicky, what a story! Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you for having me, Kane. It's it's an incredible story. It's been incredible. Well, in a few days, <laughs> it's been crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. I- Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine for you, like the amount of miles you have covered to watch your yes. son play football and then he gets to 300 and the prospect of not being there. I mean, yeah. in, in all seriousness, like it was, it was heartbreaking really. So to have this opportunity open up, what does it mean to you? Oh, kind of, as I just said before, that it means the world to me. I've just... I've had all emotions of tears and and can't wipe the smile off my face. It's, oh, it just means the world. It's, it's a dream come true that um, I can be there and he knows that there's one member of the family there with him as well. That's, yeah, mm. yeah. But um, the year after the tears, yeah. I'm dropping him at the airport on Tuesday night thinking it's not going to eventuate. Yeah, yeah. So what, what? What? So Tuesday was when it all sort of got a little bit crazy. I was, um, oh, you know, speak, yeah. speaking to Chad as well, and they were there. Then they were off. No, then there was it's going to be I a showdown. Then, so what? What did you do? Yeah. Yeah. So then the borders no, okay. shut the following day at midnight, but you were able to get That's to Victoria right. in time. Clearly. Yes, because so uh, we we left on the Wednesday morning. Yeah. So before yeah. the borders closed that Wednesday night. Yeah. Yep. So that um, was all uh, all good. From from the moment uh, he was drafted, I mean, it was, it was so tough for the family, clearly, for him to leave. You, you haven't missed many games, which is extraordinary, really, considering you live in Torquay. I mean, you could probably 
the, the, the sacrifice you've made, I guess you've loved every bit of it, but you've, you've been right there yeah. right from the day dot. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, it was so hard with him leaving and um, for him to settle and know that we're okay, that um, it was okay for him to go into state after his dad dying. He doesn't have to be the father figure or anything like that. He, you know, we're so hence going to support him. He could see we're fine. We're with you wherever you go and whatever you do. And uh, yeah, just, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And as you know, you've been part of it with him. So mm. yeah, <laughs> very much so. You've, been such a big part of the Port Adelaide family, I, and I mean, there, I mean, there was times when Geelong arrived in town and they were caught with the cameras. <laughs> but Bokey's spoken this week about um, how the Port Adelaide Football Club have embraced him and his family. I mean, that must have been so important when he was thinking about leaving it at you know certainly one stage throughout his career. Absolutely, I, I couldn't speak more highly of just how much they've given us as a family and. That is testament with his loyalty to them to stay there, and that's right. It, it was could would have been quite easy for him to pack up and come home, but as the conversations we'd had, and I said no, I um I know where your heart is, and um, the loyalty he has for the club, as which we do too for everything they've mm. done for us as a family. So mm. yeah, I couldn't have been happier that he stayed. Yeah. Now, now, Chicky, do you, uh, what sort of watcher are you? I mean, you, you watch. Are you a nervous watcher? Do you, do you commentate to yourself? Uh, can we, you know, what sort of commentary can we expect tonight? If if you do get behind the microphone. Oh, oh my gosh! Now I'll leave it to the experts. Are you a nervous watcher? watcher? Yes. I'm a nervous watcher. I think I've been caught on TV a couple of times with you know the hands up to the face and going, oh no, and then yeah, all those expressions that go with it. So. Yeah, yeah. But, so uh, how, how did this come about? So in the in the last, I guess it's just sort of happened today or may, maybe uh, yesterday. How, how did it come yeah, about that, that, that you could get approved and, and you're part of the team? I really, look, I really don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just got a phone call and, and saying that there's a possibility and that they um, through SEN and, and being mm. so wonderful, um, yeah, that, to make this happen and... Yeah, I just couldn't believe it when I got the phone call. <laughs> so well, I was just it, beside myself. <laughs> it, well, you would be. It's one of the great football stories. Now, I'm glad you can sort of relax and enjoy the day and the build-up. I know um, your two daughters would love to be there as well, but uh, for, oh, to, ha to have you there is so important to, to Bokey, and it's, it's so special. Firstly, yeah. congratulations. Without um, seeing the sacrifices that you've made, you wouldn't understand it. So credit to yourself and your son, who's an absolute star and has probably got another 100 games left in him. So you'll get plenty of times to watch him again. But I'm glad yeah. you're going to be there, and thanks for your time this morning. Oh, Kane, oh, okay. thank you very much for those kind words, and thanks for having me. Take care. Uh, Chicky Boak is now part of the AFL Nation commentary team. Uh, you've got no idea the sacrifice that that lady has made, as all, as all parents do, but the... The heartbreak, uh, losing Father Roger just uh, prior to Travis being drafted interstate was such an emotional toll. And uh, I know the SEN audience gets to listen to Bokey a lot because he's one of Gary and Tim's favourites and he, he gets them on regularly. So you know the sort of human he is. But uh, for the work that Hutchie and everyone has done to make that happen tonight is uh, is extraordinary. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll, we'll get her behind the microphone. We'll find out just exactly what sort of nervous footballer watcher she is.
Chicky Boat joining us this morning will be in attendance for game number 300 of her son, who uh, she will be a part of the AFL Nation commentary team from six o'clock tonight. Looking forward to it. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes to take your calls. one 736 736 We had a few things to speak about. I, I really am interested in the Alex Rance story. I think it's fascinating. Jay Clark in the Herald Sun saying that uh, he is potentially making a return through Essendon's VFL side. So that'll be fascinating. For me, it's uh, Bombers clearly have the advantage there. If he does choose to go back into the AFL, he's 31 years of age. He's young enough. I think the club that could use him most, well, there's a lot of clubs that could use him, but if the Western Bulldogs slotted Alex Rance in to fullback for the next three years, look out is all I would say. Uh, and the other one that um, is a bit of a sadder one that I just wanted to speak about this morning was Adam Simpson's comments about just the landscape of footy at the moment and how that can filter down and the effect that it can have on the young players coming through and those looking to get drafted. West Coast coach Adam Simpson says, uh, this is an article in the West Australian, says clubs will increasingly draft private schoolboys from stable family backgrounds because of COVID-19 financial cuts. Uh, it meant that they no longer had the resources to help players who arrive with problems. So Simpson said it does affect who you draft and who you develop. You really want to go for the talent and, gee, this kid needs a lot of help. Can we resource that with the support around him, either mental health issues or family support or learning difficulties or those types of things that you're happy to take a risk on because you can resource it? We don't have that anymore. And now you're more inclined to go safer in the draft and you'll just draft the same type of player. You know, mum and dad, I'm quoting, still married. The kids go to private school they're not much of a hassle off the field and you'll get that player, which has massive ramifications on giving um, players from less privileged backgrounds opportunities in the AFL. This is a senior premiership coach with a warning to the AFL. If these cuts continue or they don't get back to the levels that they were, then you can't support the players to that point and they will only draft the safe options. I thought that was interesting. one 736 736 We'll take a call or two from you before we wrap up. Lines available right now. Jump on and have your say. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Uh, it's been a massive morning. Thanks for your company this morning. Always love interacting and debating and talking with you. It's been a big show. Alistair Clarkson, Basil Zemplis, Chicky Boak. We went all the way to Milwaukee. It's what happens on the captain's run. No time for the quiz, so an extra double edition of the quiz next Friday. Jason is in Bendigo. Hi, Jace. Hi, Kano. Thanks, mate. Hey, look, um, the Clarko thing. I'm mm. filthy that Caro can put that stuff out there. And she's clearly her sources are wrong or she's wrong. Does, it, does she turn around and then say, look, I know you're in an opinion-based industry, but she turn around and say she got it wrong now, or did she just move on to the next load of rubbish she's going to spew out? I, I'm really filthy on it. I think... The anxiety she's created for the Hawthorne Footy Club, its followers, its members, it's just ridiculous. And I think the only thing she got right was that Mitchell was talking to Collingwood. And bloody Billy Brownless could have told you that. Oh, well, she got the mediation right as well, so that's been confirmed. Jace, will quickly whip through a, a number of those, but we'll, we'll ask her that on Monday on Footy Classified. Tune in. Nick is on the line. G'day to you, Nick. Kano, thanks for taking my call, mate. Pleasure. Mate, I just wanted to call in and say that, um, a bit of a left field one, I gave that um, Spinal Ease pillow, pillow a go. I promise I'm yeah. not a paid caller to give it anyone a plug. Mate, that pillow is the absolute bee's knees of pillows, mate. It's changed my life. <laughs> I've got migraines all the time. It's quality. 
That's outstanding, Nick. Yeah, get onto it. I can absolutely recommend it. It's an absolute ripper. Nick, I'm glad you gave that a try. Great company, Aussie made, Aussie owned, and best night's sleep. Good man. Thanks for the feedback. Always appreciated. Uh, James is in Mitcham. G'day to you, James. Yes, hi, Kane. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say how disappointed I was with Simpson's comments in regards to private school kids and Mm. kids coming from a single-parent home. I actually think state school kids are more resilient when they're tough because they haven't had teachers spoon feed them. And also, Dustin Martin, the best player in the comp, came from a single-parent home. So I just think it's absolutely disgraceful. Disgraceful comment. Well, it's it's an honest comment. Uh, It's confronting, though. I mean, some... You know, some of the best players wouldn't have been drafted. So many, such a huge portion of the best players, if that was their attitude for one of the biggest clubs in the country to have that. Uh, Gordon, stick around because Dwayne will take your call, no doubt, with Midday Madness. Uh, text coming through. Mate, Kane, you've got to show more respect to the quiz. Um, and this this guy says, we could be quizzing now. Quiz this guy. No, well, the quiz will be back. Just put it on ice. Hey, big week next week. Uh, check out the SEN app for all your Olympics, and I'll be on the SEN app on Flip. If you want your normal football and a big football show from 10 till 3 for the next two weeks, SEN Flip is your go-to. Look forward to chatting to you next week. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free, and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.